Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. All right. RFM, how are you? everybody. Hi, Maven. How are you doing? You're great. <laughs> Maven, you look absolutely normal tonight. There's nothing unusual about the way you look. I want you to know that. Nobody look at Maven, okay? Just look at me. Look at Bill. Anywhere on the top part of the screen is okay. Southern Hemisphere, no. No, don't look there. Yeah, yeah, but listen closely. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are you guys doing? Good. I'm full of the old vim and vigor. How are you doing, Maven? I'm doing really good. I just am sad that I didn't get to do it. I guess you also tried to do RFM, which was it tried to pick our our top ones, uh, reviewing all 100. And unfortunately, we neither of us had the time to actually do that the way we wanted to. But there's a lot of good stuff. There's so much good stuff. It's amazing. Too much stuff for one episode to cover adequately, I'm sure. What yeah. do you think, Mr. Real? Well, here we are. It is show 100. We're celebrating. You see the new logo there on the screen. <clears throat> Folks, I'm going to just... <clears throat> oh, go ahead. I saw that. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things. Uh, number one, we really want to try to raise a few donations tonight for the show. I think over the course of the show, you're going to see as we lay out some of our favorite episodes and as we give you the chance, the, the listener to call in uh, and to share with us some of your favorite episodes... The call-in studio is already open. I will put the number uh, on the screen. And so you'll see that there down below. I won't leave that up there the whole time. Maybe you'll want to get a, a piece of paper and a pen out and just jot down the number in case you get the urge to call. Also, in the comments, no matter where you're watching this, in the comments, the very first comment, or at least one of the very first ones, should be a show comment uh, leaving you the link for the episode archive. You can also go to mormonismlive.org. Click uh, episode archive and you can see the list of all 99 shows that we've done thus far. And uh, folks, you, you know, pick out your favorite. We'd love to hear a phone call from you. We're going to try to share some of ours and uh, maybe just a quick little blip about why that was so meaningful to us. And we'll each kind of take turns also taking a bunch of calls all throughout the show. Um, and one other little thing, and then I'll let you guys share a little comment. And we'll jump into it. Uh, folks, one is that the merchandise store, which is uh, Exmo shirts, and I'll put that uh, up on the screen right there. It is Exmo uh, apparel. If you just look up Exmo shirts or Exmo apparel, uh, and then I'll put the link here during the show. As soon as we get started, I'll put the link in for the merchandise. All the shirts are there, and you'll want to see the uh, the the ones that uh, the three that we had kind of as the finalists. They've all made it their way into the store, and so you can buy any of those as well as all the other merch. Uh, for Mormonism Live, as well as the umbrella as a whole. And then the very last thing is uh, the we really would love, we've got about 8,500 or so uh, subscribers to our YouTube channel. 
We get about 20,000 downloads on our podcast audio. We get about 10,000 views to uh, a good episode on YouTube. And the top 10 or so episodes have about 20 to 30,000 views. Um, We would really appreciate it, folks, if tonight, during the course of this show, whether you're watching live or you're watching after uh, after it airs, um, if you'll take your favorite episode and share it somewhere in social media, because we would really love, folks, for more people to have a chance to know the great work that we're doing over here, namely because of Radio Free Mormon and Maven. Uh, we put on, a, I think, a great product. And I think as we go through the night, we're going to see how much good episodes there is. Absolutely nothing. Well, a little bit here or there, maybe. But <laughs> um, when I looked over these 99 episodes, RFM, I was absolutely amazed at the quality of stuff that we've done over the course of a year. And I thought it would be fun tonight, and you thought so too, to jump into some of these and share with people some of some of what the work that we've done over these first 99 episodes. I was amazed that we did quality stuff too. <laughs> and I've got to tell you, I love the screen. The new logo's up there. It's got a yellow background. We've got yellow above. We've got yellow below. we got our names in yellow. I'm just thinking there might be a little bit too much yellow. And I only say that because I'm getting this urge every three minutes to go to the bathroom. Yeah. You recommended before we went on the air that we need to add maybe a little bit more of a different color. So folks like blue. put up with it tonight uh, for the celebration episode, like but it. then we'll fix it. I, me too, Maven. Me I, too. I, I like yellow as much as the next guy, but you know, I got to stay put for like an hour and a half to do the show. <laughs> folks share your opinion. If you like the yellow, let RFM know. If you want some color variation, let me and Maven know and we'll, we'll adjust accordingly. Um, let's start off here. Let me, uh, let me put up this and this and i'll start oh with one of mine look at that and also bill real has been going back and he's been redoing something reformatting uh the old thumbnails on the prior 100 shows this is an absolutely beautiful thumbnail you'll notice there's not too much yellow there's not a lot of yellow in this one so <laughs> we each wrote down kind of three to five episodes that each of us loved and then as we go throughout the show after each of us share maybe a favorite episode We'll take a phone call from uh, from a listener and uh, give you a chance to tell us one of yours. But I'll just jump right into it. First one for me, by the way, this is awesome. We've been doing this, what, two years now, almost two years. And uh, to get this far in, again, the content's just been stellar um, in this show, and I'm amazed by it. But I think this is a great leadoff. I, I, I laughed, and I was amazed at the fact that President Nelson told this story for decades which, which he seems to like his four or five stories that he tells, and they all seem to be bullshit. But um, this story, the, this, there was this uh, Discuss Mormonism board that did a great job kind of trying to get to the bottom of this. And you follow that board really closely and you participate there heavily. And you just saw like these guys are finding things. Um, it's, it's probably about time to do a show on this. And what we did was we exposed that President Nelson's been fibbing a little bit about how uh, how serious this plane, uh, this death spiral with a blown up engine was. <laughs> Any quick thoughts from you guys on this? And Is this our, the number one episode, like the most watched? Um, no, no, no. There's there's four or five episodes that have more views. Oh, okay. But and yeah, so this, this is, is a very popular one. So um, yeah, I think this one has about 12,000 views. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Um, but this was a lot of fun for me. This was one RFM put together. And I, if I say what was the, our, my favorite episode over the course of a hundred, I, I really loved this one. This was my top of my list. Um, it well, I'm tickled. glad that you do. I think we showed that president Nelson does have a tendency to gild the Navajo. Gild the, I don't know what gild the Navajo means. Okay. It's an old expression called gild the lily, which means to take something that's perfectly fine and try and make it super good. Too much, too much, much. And the Navajo, I believe, was the the make and model of the plane that did or did not go down in a death spiral. Okay. It did or did not go down in a death spiral. Okay. It may not have. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. I was gonna I was gonna try to find uh, here one of yours, RFM. And uh, one of the tricky things for me is trying to keep up here with the slides. I, and, I thought that uh, was one of mine. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah, that's one of yours. Oh, but yeah, I wanted yeah, yeah. your favorite shows. And oh, one of my favorite uh, you put shows. This one. Oh, right. I remember that. Well, we were able to actually, I think, I, I know I've done a couple things on Radio Free Mormon about this particular issue, the rise and fall of Alma as apologetic. I have to remember in my mind that some people will be listening to this just on audio without being able to see Maven's smiling face. Yeah, no, it, and so <laughs> it's always good to remember and, and also be more accessible as well. Yeah, I think so, too. But absolutely, there's a wonderful picture of Dan Peterson there. And he was the main proponent of Alma being this evidence in the Book of Mormon. And we investigated that. We talked about it. This has been a labor of love over many years because that's how long it's taken to get Daniel Peterson to back off a little bit from always trotting this out as a huge evidence in support of the Book of Mormon. We haven't gotten him to completely, completely desist, I think, but at least he's saying that it's really not that big a deal after all. And it was never that big an evidence, which was a huge admission, I think, on his part. Thanks to this episode. And I went back and listened to this episode. And thanks primarily to you, Bill Real, getting up in Dan Peterson's grill over on his Sick at Non blog. Yeah, it, it, he had had, uh, he put stuff there, obviously, and he allows commentary, comments back and forth, but... Um, I engaged him there. And as you said, you've covered this on our, on radio free Mormon as well. And it, I, I think going forward, kind of the same as Kais, uh, chiasms or chiasms. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but chiasms. just, yeah, just like oh, that. I think this is an apologetic evidence that no longer is evidence and it just can't be used anymore. Um, I think we're, well, we're slaying these be, things. But that doesn't necessarily mean can't when you come from a more yeah, apologetic well, standpoint. It shouldn't be. That's that's saying it mildly. Um, they shouldn't use it when it's going to come to our attention. Oh, this is so cool. This is like a Picasso painting right yeah, there. Yeah, like we're, that part. It's, it's going to be a little sloppy tonight because there's a lot going on. But uh, there's that. Um, I wanted to put up one of Maven's uh, favorites and get her thoughts on one. Let's see here. Uh, not that one, right? This one right here. Uh, yeah, well, I think both of them. Um, they go together. Yeah, and RFM had also picked these, so there's maybe a little bit of overlap with some of these. But I, I for one, have just been a huge fan of, and it, you know, it's really too bad that it got taken down because Tits was the best. And uh, if if I'd had more time, Bill, I would have gotten <laughs> you. If we play that one, it's Tits jokes right straight from the start. Um, <laughs> 
from you, Bill. Actually, not from RFM. Uh, I insisted on spelling it out. I said T I T S because you can yeah. take oh, Bill, I think boy out of Mormonism, like, but if, if there's not going to be tits, then I'll be disappointed. And then I think RFM. Yes, <laughs> it depends on on which way you define it, because there is more than one uh, definition. So I mean, you might get one of them, but I I think those videos were just so. It's just so bad. I think that's why I love them. It's, it's so bad. It's just like when there's like a, a B movie that is just so horribly done that it gets like a fan following. I don't know. That's how I feel about the show. It's, oh, and I just loved you guys. Um, you know, and this, and this was the very beginning, the first two episodes, I think a really, really strong start to the show. And it just kept getting better from there. So Yeah. And you don't join us until about a year in, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not anywhere near here. Um, so the, you're just watching as a fan of the show. Yeah. Yeah, love it. I did think you that's watch how I this it came it out, Maven. Okay, truth or dare? Truth or dare? Did you watch this when it came out, or just in retrospect? No, I watched it when it came out. Oh, okay. Yeah, because when those videos came out, it was, <laughs> and I started watching them. They were just wild, you know. I would, I would play them, and then I just would. They would make just a ridiculous or an extreme claim. I, I swear, like my jaw was like open half the time, and. It, you know, just it, I, they were just so bad. They're good. And they're still available if you know, like who to ask. Um, like Jeremy I Reynolds, think, right? I think he does. I think a lot of people saved them. Um, and so, yes. yeah, there's there there are ways. And I think if you go to Reddit too, um, someone will help you, you know, with some a Dropbox, Dropbox things or something. So if you missed these, and I guess I, we didn't really give a background. So this was Fair Mormon. This is where uh, Kwaku and, and uh, Cordonella sent. Was, it's a Brad. Um, Red Whip, Red Whip, Red Whip. Yeah. Uh, kind of got their start and they were doing these fair Mormon videos and they were trying to be cool and edgy and like millennial and and uh, debunk the CES letter and it was it was bad and I think the reason why it was something I think you pointed out RFM um, was it might have I don't remember which one of you two it was now but just the fact that apologetics really does rely on the dance so much to try to get around and obfuscate what they really, the real issues are. So when you're trying to be short and edgy and, and cutting out the fluff, then it just makes it all the more clear how bad the arguments are. And I know that they were trying to be edgy with it, but just the way they did it, it just was a huge snafu and total backfire and a, just an enormous shit show i think i think peter bleakley said so like it, it said like instead of tits it was more like tits up which is the british expression for something that's you know gone so bad that's what happened the following march yes yeah yeah they didn't so, last long on fair mormon did they <laughs> no i was in the grocery store the other day and i was in the checkout line and i saw one of those inquirer magazines on the shelf where they sell them it had their three pictures it was actually that photo you just showed up there and it says where are they now <laughs> where are they now yeah <laughs> they're missing huh they're missing in action yeah no actually they have their own little thing going yeah, and i don't mind saying out. their name because it's midnight mormons yeah. and apparently what their stick is now is they talk about witches and werewolves and all sorts of supernatural weird stuff which according to them proves mormonism is true so i say god bless you go forth and prosper i hope you get lots of listeners yeah yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds over the years, huh? <laughs> yes. I'll just say one last thing. I'm glad you picked this one, uh, Maven, because um, Fair Mormon, as the apologetic arm for the church, does really poor apologetics. I mean, there really aren't good answers for these problems, right? And they do their best, as you point out, to obfuscate it. 
I was just surprised that they lowered themselves because I already think they have a low bar for how they do their work. And it seemed like they almost said like, hey, we're going to allow the apologetics that we know don't work. And we're going to we're going to host those here and uh, and and promote those because I think um, the the tits show. This is the show. I think their apologetics was even exponentially worse than fair Mormons. Um, the arguments that they were making. And I was quite surprised that they would host it there. This was something else well, RFM said from that episode, I think was basically like, it's like when the parents go out of town and <laughs> the kids throw a party or something like that. Like they just like, <laughs> like here's the keys kids. Have a blast. We'll see you on Monday. Yeah. I think that's what you said. Like, where are the adults in this? Like, and, and, and that's honestly the response a lot of people had, like, we're like, this is, this can't be really from fair Mormon. Is it right? Like they were, Gen- people genuinely confused, like from from ex Mormons to uh, believers as well, that were just shocked that this would come from Fair Mormon. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, very much yeah. so. And I remember the big argument they had in the first episode, or the one we addressed in our first episode, had to do with this stunning argument that they said that Jeremy Reynolds, in his CES letter, claimed that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon using a Ouija board. <laughs> And I looked at that and I said, uh, I haven't read the I haven't read the CES letter, but I know right now there's no way that Jeremy Reynolds says the Book of Mormon was translated using no. a Ouija board. So I go to the little reference that they snap up on the screen. Remember down the bottom left corner, they'd snap up that reference and snap it back and hope nobody saw it. Because if they did, somebody might go and I don't know, look it up. It's online yeah. for crying out loud. And I looked it up and remember what it said. It said Joseph Smith translated with a rock and a hat, which was kind of like using a Ouija board. Yeah. When you that was the thing. That was the thing that got Quaco L so exercised that he shouted out a scripted, angry, fake F bomb so that the producers then could bleep it out. Yeah. Yeah. And um, by the way, folks, feel free to call and uh, yeah. we'd love to take some calls. So um, all right. It would be fun to like rewatch them on the Discord, like you know, as an activity or something. I don't know. We'll have to hook up with Justin Rich and see if we can do that. <laughs> That's I, an idea. I uh, when I think about the episodes that I picked as my favorite, I really liked where we the historical ones. Yeah, I like historical stuff, and so for me, like the plane, uh, the the flight of death. It was the history of it. You know, here's Nelson. He's teaching it. Here's the documents. And uh, I really love the Two Hills Camorra theory. And I love the one that came after that you did RFM, which was the um, Mormon apologist skullduggery, the mystery of the second Watson letter, which came out from this conversation. And um, when you look at this episode and that one that I just mentioned, and I'm connecting because I want to get in a few more than five, (laughs) but – the history behind there being a second hill Camorra, why that whole apologetic argument is created, what all sides say, why none of it works. Uh, and then in your research, you find this you know, whole thing going on with this second Watson letter from the uh, secretary of the first presidency. And what the audience doesn't know, at least I don't think we ever said this, but after that episode about the second Watson letter, somebody got in contact with me who was um, – very, very much connected to Watson. And he verified to them that there was never any second Watson letter. (laughs) So 
you and I both know already, but that just verifies that these guys are making stuff up as they need to, because, uh, and again, I don't have time to get into it. I don't know if I could even frame it well in a couple of minutes, but uh, folks, if, if you're not a, a, a deep follower of the show, you ought to go back and watch some of these episodes. The, the history that they cover to me is just amazing. Um, but I love the two Hills Kamara theory in the second Watson letter for the, for the fact that I thought we were really unveiling, especially in that second one, information that most people in this arena who even aren't lazy learners, they don't know. And to me, it's a lot of fun to give people new information. Yeah, well, that two Hills Kimura theory, I was fascinated to learn for the first time that this whole theory originated with the reorganized church. They're the ones who come up with the two Kimura theory back around the 1920s or the turn of the last century. So then it starts making its way into the LDS church. And that's where you get the great quotes from the church leader saying, not just no, but hell no. There's no two Camorras. There's only one, and it's in New York. And, of course, yeah. then Michael Watson, secretary for the first presidency, writes a letter of explanation to somebody asking the question, saying, no, this is where the battle took place. This is what the church leaders have always said. And that's where they get the second Watson letter, right? Yeah. Where Bill Hamblin publishes the contents of an alleged second Watson letter which clarifies things and makes it okay for the two Hill Kimura theory to continue apace. That was their whole problem with the first Watson letters because it pinpoints the Hill Kimura in New York is where the battle happened. And we all know that we all know that that's what church leaders and the church has taught forever. But the, um, these apologists, the Dan Peterson and et al., they want to have it down in South America because they know the science will not withstand any scrutiny up here in New York of a huge battle of that magnitude taking place. Could not have happened there. They want to have someplace else where it happened. And this letter was really bothering them. So all of a sudden they come up with a second letter that's published the text of it in an article by Bill Hamlin that gets them off the hook and says, now we're not saying that it ha actually happened there. It could have been anywhere. We don't take any position on this, right? But then when they were asked for the letter, they said, oops, the dog ate the second Watson letter. We we don't have it. And so that was the controversy there. Yeah, well, just just for the record, Watson says there was no second letter, which doesn't surprise you or me at all. Well, that's elementary, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, will you go to slide number seven, Maven? I was trying. I think you and I are both trying to get into certain numbers and I'm I'm not having an easy time <laughs> Flipping over to is this one of you trying to roll up the window and the other one. Yeah, trying to roll I think down I think window? so. I think we're both pushing buttons. So okay, uh, number seven. So RFM. This was one of. Uh, let me go to the different thing here. You liked this one. I like this so much because it's not often you hear a story where a leader of the church, like Elder Bednar, gets up in front of a live audience. Well, I don't know if it was live. But he actually publicly talks about not just one legitimate miracle that happened, but eight of them. There's a whole list of eight miracles, and they were so astonishing that we went over each one and relished them individually in this episode. And it turned out there really wasn't anything miraculous at all. These were the worst miracles I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. This is where I think it was. A I know it was a temple. It was probably in California. And uh, remember, it was November 13th, 2020, probably, when they get the, uh, the deadline. Government says we're shutting everything down midnight on Friday the 13th. And that means your temples, too. And so they get the idea, well, we're going to run this temple around the clock for the next three days. 
and all sorts of miracles happened associated with that decision to run them around the clock. They were able to call people. People picked up and answered. There were lots of smiles. Remember the smiling faces, Bill? Yeah, the smiling faces. Lots of faces. smiles. And uh, yeah, people picked up phones. And yeah, that was about it. Yeah, that that was about it. These um, were the miracles. And then he has the chutzpah at the end to quote from the Book of Moroni in the Book of Mormon about saying, has the day of miracles ceased? Because the whole theme of that is if the day of miracles have ceased, then you know, you know you're up a creek because miracles are wrought by faith in God. That's how you get salvation is by faith in God. If there's no miracles, then you don't have any salvation and you are toast. But after talking about eight non-miracles, which are highly duplicative as well, he then says, has the day of miracles ceased? I say unto you, nay. Yeah. With nothing really substantial to make that argument. I think yeah. just condemned the entire LDS church with that talk. It was amazing. Bravo. <laughs> Bravo, Elder Bednar. Bravo. He's done a lot of damage, you know. Where free I, would have, um, I would have, I don't know, I just. I took almost everything hook, line, and sinker, um, especially as a teenager. I just wanted to, yeah. And, and I think I, I was just really susceptible to the voice. So like the dramatic, I would have been like, that was so great. I, I would have been talking about that in seminary class. It's just funny to think, you know, how far I've come, I guess. Yeah. That was really well, there's great. this whole thing in theater and movies where we go in, it's called the willing suspension of disbelief, Right. Obvious example, musicals. I think we all know that people don't usually start singing and dancing in the middle of the street and an orchestra swells to accompany them. Right. But we're willing to accept that because that's what the movie demands. Now, there's people like my mom. She could never get into a musical. She said, look, people don't start singing and dancing when they go down the street. She couldn't get past it. Okay, that's one person. But everybody who watches a musical and other kinds of movies, too, I suppose superhero movies might fall into this category as well where you have to willingly suspend your disbelief. You know this isn't real, but to get into it, you suspend it. And a lot of things happen in religion like that too, I think. In Mormonism, in other religions, I'm sure, and specifically with this talk like you're, you're mentioning, Maven, that when you were back in an active believer, you would, have been, you would have been buying this. You would have been absolutely luxuriating in the miraculous nature of these stories. Whereas now you look at it and you go, there's no there there. But at that time, what, yeah. yeah, what Mormonism requires of its members is this willing suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Maven, here's one of, uh, here's one of yours. You liked this one. The role um, of women in the church. Yes. Um, so this one was with Nicole. And I just really loved how brave Nicole was to come on. And, and I had mentioned it on there. There are a lot of, I, there's a lot of pained from women in the church about our bodies. And basically the, I think I used the analogy of, of, of a train that once you're a woman who's engaged, um, once you're married, you should be ready to have kids and then you should be having them as, as many and as often as possible. And so that's one of the really difficult things about th that women have to deconstruct is that uh, a lot of them have more kids than they wanted, um, which is a tough place to be because you love your children. And so it's just really, um, uh, it's just something that's so, or feels shameful. So it's usually in these anonymous Reddit groups or even in like Facebook groups that are, are for ex-Mormon women. Um, a lot of times people will use the, uh, like the anonymous feature 
um, to post these kinds of things just because there's um it's a hard thing to admit. And so it was, I just thought it was really brave of Nicole to come on and, and be willing to share that part of her journey um, that she didn't make the decisions for herself that she would have. And I think the most poignant moment for me was when she said uh, about her friends that had children when they were older and not out of duty or because they were supposed to, but because they genuinely wanted to, uh, that they seemed to be able to connect and have a lot more joy and find joy in a lot of even the tougher moments, of especially the early parenting when the, the babies are really young. And um, so when she said that she felt that Mormonism had robbed her of some of the joy that comes from motherhood. It just it, like it just hit me so hard, and I just found it also so ironic because it's the one role that the church pushes on us so much, and they promise us that's the only way to find joy. When the way they go about it, actually, I mean, for one, not every woman finds joy in it. We had some pretty brave callers that called in at the end to to express that as well, um, and and you just feel like a failure if you're not finding joy in it. Um, there's something wrong with you because this is what we were made to find joyful. Like biologically, this is the point of our creation. So there has to be something wrong with you if you're not enjoying it. Um, and so, yeah, not just um, uh, the enjoyment part, but the, uh, the fact that some women don't enjoy the motherhood, but those who would and who would want to and are struggling and trying to uh, desperately find the joy in it. It's the, it's the doctrine and the weight of it. that's actually making it, more difficult. And so that was just a really powerful episode, not just for me, but for a lot of women. We had a lot of women in the chat. We had some really great calls at the end of that one. And mm. I, I know I got a lot of messages on Facebook after that. Um, someone actually from my mission uh, heard it and listened to it with his wife and uh, got back in touch with me through that episode as well. And so um I, I know, I think at least at least one other person from my mission has seen it, but I, I haven't talked with them. But I, I, I don't know. I, that's the one that I feel like I've got the most outreach over. Um, it, it was just, Nicole was putting it out there, the part that a lot of women want to hide, but we still, that still feel. So anyway, that's, um, yeah. that was always a, a really impactful one for me and for a lot of people, it seems. Yeah, obviously, you know, more than half the church is women. We know that there's more women that go to go to the LDS church than there are men statistically. And um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on there with patriarchy in society in general, but then so hyper-focused inside unhealthy, uh, high-demand fundamentalist religions such as Mormonism. And uh, yeah, that episode I thought was very, uh, very well done. One that, uh, RFM, any thoughts there before I move to the next one? No, I Perfect. Um, I'm wondering, are we not getting any callers? Because that surprises me. Are, are the lines working? I, uh, they are working. Somebody okay. just got in just now. So as soon as I get oh, done okay. talking about this one, we'll grab a we'll grab a call. But it was it went for the longest time without anybody on the in the bank. Well, they're still calling the fist number. I think that's they probably the are. I by the way, just FYI, I I still get about a phone call a month on like a Sunday morning, Tuesday <laughs> afternoon. And it'll always be somebody over the age of 60 and they'll go, hello. And I'll go, hello. You know, and, uh, is this the live show? And I'm like, uh, it was about a year and a half ago. <laughs> I said, what you're watching uh, occurred about a year and a half ago. Oh, well, I still want to talk to that Bill and RFM guys. 
And uh, I said, well, I'm Bill, but, you know, and I'll, I'll field it for a couple of minutes. But then eventually I'm like, well, you know, right now I'm sitting at home eating breakfast and, <laughs> and getting ready to watch the Browns game. The show's, you know, we already did the call-in show. It's not, not happening. Just, so that's adorable. hilarious um this episode i love fugates kinderhook fugazi two things stood out to me one i i enjoyed the history of this what is tends to be really fun for me are these these surface issues that i sort of know and then this you know doing this stuff of creating content for this show and other things gives me the chance to do a deep dive into these issues and i just get really excited about that um, the two things that stood out to me about this episode was one, Don Bradley calls at the end, if you remember, yes. and Don really didn't have a reconciliation for this. Now, Don, Don, after the show was over, said that he does have a reconciliation. He's going to put it into writing. We're excited to see that. And I'm sure we'll talk about it when it happens. But the second thing that I thought was really incredible was uh, unbeknownst to either of us, as we were going through the episode, by the time we got to the end, we realized that the Kinderhook plate translation by the church's own deduction actually kills the catalyst theory too. And I don't remember all the specifics of that, but if you remember right, the way that we went over the data and the way the church history department acknowledged that Joseph Smith was trying to do a certain kind of translation, that that kind of translation is not what the catalyst theory for the book of Abraham was. And the character off the kinderhook plates that was similar to the book of Abraham papyri is where that translation took place. And that's very different than what the catalyst theory was supposed to be. And so I thought for those two reasons, I thought this was just an incredible episode, plus all the deep history and documentation of everything that was uh, shared in the show. I love, I I love new stuff. And this was one of those that it, this was a, uh, it's just always a reminder that it, as much interest as there is in church history and certain documents and the ones that are at least available to us and not hidden in a vault somewhere, um, either on a hill or in a, the uh, church administration building somewhere, there's still new discoveries to be found. Um, and, and Bill, you had one recently. It, it, I just love this is what makes it so fascinating. And people have asked me why, you know, why am I in this space? Why am I still so involved in, in Mormonism? And it's just it's all the more fascinating you don't have to constantly filter everything. Um, and, you know, I, so this, this kind of stuff I've always really liked on the show. Yeah. Any thoughts from you, RFM? Yeah, this particular thing about the Kinderhook plates. By the way, can you say what Fugazi means? Because it's some Italian phrase that you got from watching The Godfather or something. It's an Al Pacino uh, mob movie, but it was not The Godfather. And uh, I don't know if it was Casino Man or so. I don't remember what it was, but... El Pacino, and he is looking at some other guys uh, proclaiming to have diamonds, and he looks at the diamonds, and he goes, those are a Fugazi, you know, and he's like, oh, Fugazi, and the other guy says Fugazi, and they couldn't even pronounce it right, And but what it is, if you look up Fugazi or Fugazi online, it's basically a fake, and so it's the it's Fugates, who's the, the gentleman involved with locating the Kinderhook plates, it's his fraud. Grinding it. Yeah, and so uh, Fugazi or Fugazi just means a, a fake or a hoax. Okay, so I bring that up as Exhibit A whenever anybody tries to give me grief about saying jokes that you don't get, Mr. Real. Yeah. Because Fugazi, I got no idea. I had yeah, to have yeah, you I remind just... me actually right now live. But the Kinderhook plates, they are a, a remarkable example of how nothing in the world is ever going to sink this church to 
the minds of its true believers mm -hmm. because anywhere else, these kinderhood plates would have sunk a person's claims to be able to translate by the spirit. And what happened, as you recall, is that Joseph Smith translates a bit, and it's probably this one character, if Don Br Bradley's correct, and he certainly might be. It looks like he is. And he translates this one character, and there is a brief bit of translation, and I think that's in William Clayton's journal, though I could be mistaken. It's in somebody's journal. And the thing is that the church then defends the reality, the authenticity of these kinderhood plates all the way up to about 1980. And the reason they defend their authenticity is because Joseph Smith translated a portion of them. Obviously, it's like love and marriage. They go together like a horse and carriage. The translation and Joseph Smith's prophetic calling, they go together. Then all of a sudden, they, they find one of these and they get a sample that's taken to a lab so they can actually look at it under the microscopes of 1980s, which were better than of the 1840s. And they say, no, nah, this is totally a this is totally a hoax. This is not real. This is a fake plate. It was made up. And by the way, it was Fugate who admitted it was a it was made up toward the end of his life, toward the end of the 19th century. Right. But Mormons didn't believe that either because, hey, Joseph Smith translated a portion. This is how durable. The faith of the Latter-day Saints is in the prophetic status of Joseph Smith and his ability to translate. So as soon as it comes out, actually, this is a hoax. Uh, Fugate was right when he was admitting that he uh, just made these up one night as a joke and a hoax of his own. As soon as that happened, it's like the church, anybody who was paying attention, turned on a dime and said, of course they were a hoax. Joseph Smith never translated them. Yeah, it, it reminds me of when, uh, I'm going to say his name wrong, but Ugo Perigo is... The, oh, Perig, uh, no, I think that's the guy who makes spaghetti sauce. Yeah, the, um, the, L, the LDS DNA guy. Ugo, Ugo Perez? No, Perez. It, it sounds like that. I'll look it up. You go ahead. Look you it keep up. talking. Ugo. Um, it reminds me of this DNA moment guy. where Brian Hales uh, created his entire apologetic argument around Sylvia Sessions' daughter being the offspring of Joseph Smith. And mm. then Ugo does the DNA test and, and does this big conference to release the data. And he's going to tell everybody that Sylvia Sessions' daughter is not Joseph Smith's child, which runs exactly counter to Brian Hale's argument. And within about eight seconds, because Brian Hale comes to the conference ready with a different argument, just in case the DNA doesn't go his way. And I'm sure he got the inside track, but he essentially goes, uh, he essentially stands up and, unveils an entirely new argument, which completely goes against his previous argument, because that's what Mormon apologists do is every time the data paints them in a corner, they just drill a new hole in the wall and find some other place to crawl through. <laughs> yes, it was Ugo Perego. You were correct the first time, Bill. Look at that. No Chef Boyardee for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's go ahead and take a call here. And I, I want to keep the calls to folks sharing what their favorite episode is. Um, I don't know what necessarily this one might be, but Trevor, are you on the line? Trevor. Yes, I am. Okay, Trevor. Uh, you're um, on the 100th show of Mormonism Live. Uh, which episode has been your favorite? My episode that would be my favorite 
because it just blew my mind, would be RSM's episode where he discovered, or not discovered, but talked about how the Liahona is actually a hand warmer. Um, yeah, brass ball. We're talking about that in the chat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Trevor, I do actually so have a question that's off. You're welcome. Um, I do have a question that's a little off topic, if it's okay. Uh, sure. Let's be quick, though, if you don't mind. Okay. Because there's so, so many calls piling up behind you right now, Trevor. Right, Rander. Um, so there was a call last week that I really loved um, that was a TBM calling in, and you couldn't, I think it was last week, you couldn't get him to admit that a 37-year-old marrying a 14-year-old is wrong. And I watch a lot of debates online, um, and I was just curious, are you guys open to having people call in and uh, obviously respectfully challenge um, the critical side of Mormonism? And I know that, Bill, that you've said that you don't think debates um, really work because the people on the stage don't really change their ideas, but I've always felt it's not really for the people on stage. If something is triggered that somebody listening hears, it makes more sense. But I was just wondering... Oh, sorry. Let's um, say, just let me let me answer that really quickly because I don't really want to fill this too long. Okay. But um, I'm more than happy to schedule a guest for a week that I'm in charge of the topic where we get into uh, a push and pull about any of these issues. And so, if you want to do that, you okay. can reach out and email us at Mormon Discussions with an S on the end, podcast with an S on the end at gmail.com. I would love to have a Mormonism Live episode with an intelligent, informed believer who wants to challenge us on any of these issues that we go into. And I would welcome that, but I don't know that I want to stand up and do much of a debate. Um, Cause I just don't like the format of speaking for seven minutes and then the other person can say whatever they want. And then I don't have enough time to really go like, okay, let me, uh, let me deconstruct that idea and logically explain why it falls on its right. face, but to do it on an hour and a half show, if we took one topic would be, I think enjoyable to our audience and enjoyable to me. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not a believer at all. Uh, <laughs> I I got out of the church 10 years ago, but yeah. I just would love to see that back and forth. And unfortunately, we don't see that enough on post-Mormon shows. Yeah, we, um, because just FYI, I guess, we've invited... Believers don't want to do it. Yeah, we've invited over and over for apologists or defenders of the faith to uh, reach out to us. And we would love to sit down and have those conversations. I think... I think most believers, even who defend the church, kind of recognize that it doesn't benefit them to have a long-form conversation around these issues. And you only need to go listen to Jim Bennett's interview with me or Jim Bennett's interview with uh, John DeLynn to realize that one argument seems much less rational than the other. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Thank you, friend. uh, Thank you. That was... Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I think something bad happened to Bill, but that's okay. We're more than up to carrying on without him, aren't we, Maven? 
Yeah, I think so. And I'm, I'm sure he'll jump back in soon. Um, so he probably will. I know that there was uh, one individual who seemed to, who wanted to come on the show, but he was an unknown. He was acting a little bit um, possibly mentally imbalanced. When we say we'll have a, an apologist on the show, we don't mean necessarily anybody. We want to have somebody who knows something, who's going to have something meaningful to say to the audience. And we don't need to have somebody who's mentally imbalanced. My yeah. apologies to Stephen Smoot. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Next one. By the way, I, I, I don't know what cut me out there to kind of kick me off the show, but I think having the two PowerPoints up was a great idea. It probably was mine that's not going back up there, but let me see if I can put it back. Uh, the next one we need to put up there is da, 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 da. it looks like uh, the rules of the game. We haven't done that one yet, correct? Oh, by the way, we haven't, but, um, you know, um, Trevor mentioned brass balls, right? Yeah. Can I just mention, that was uh, a real fun one for me because I always appreciate it when we are able to make a substantive contribution to actual Mormon studies, Mormon historical studies, and we were able to do that in that episode. That's always a thrill, actually adding to the discourse, which we do every now and again on this show. Other times we're talking about our opinions about what other people have said or breaking down certain talks, but that was different. And I went back and I listened to the first part of it in preparation for the show because I liked that episode too. And you recall it was a, an English gentleman who had made this discovery 15 years ago watching TV over there on the telly, uh, probably the a BBC show, some kind of antique road show in England. And he saw this thing and it totally blew him out of the water, but he sort of kept it to himself since then. Every time he'd bring it up to somebody at the ward, they would get funny looks. And we were able to go through that. But you remember that that very night when it's eight hours ahead, seven hours ahead in Utah, in England, where he was, and his whole Internet goes down. But not to be dissuaded, this is right before the show goes. It's two o'clock in the morning. He drives out to a nearby hill at two o'clock in the morning in England, walks up to the top of this hill so he can get some cell reception. And we have him on the cell phone on the show for a few minutes. Do you remember that, Bill? Who was it? You, Bill. Bill. Yeah, okay. He's frozen. Um, looks like Kweku did after he walked out on that debate. We're getting. He like, sounds like Kweku when he walked. Okay, yeah. sorry. What? Well, I'm. I wonder if it's running the uh, call studio. Um, uh, I could try to get uh, pull it up and see if maybe if I can take over that part. Yeah, I can. I can end it if you want to try to do the call in your. Okay, so. I'll try to do that. I'm just. I'm gonna go off screen though. Um, while I do that, just because I'll need to adjust some things. So. Okay, take care, Maven. <laughs> Remember who you are. Can you hear me? And now, what are we doing, uh, Mr. Real? Well, uh, I'm hoping you can hear me. Can you? I can hear that. I told you there's too much yellow on the screen. Yeah, that's probably what's going on. Let's uh, Let me see if I can find a different... Yeah, I don't have. Uh... All right, let me 
Let's try this. You go ahead and try that. You remember when I had those massive headphones on when we started this show? Yeah. There's actually one scene where uh, I lean over to look at something and they slide off my head. I, I think for me, it's turning this. Uh, I'm going to do this a different way. Let, give me a second here. So I'm going to. Folks, if you're on the line, I really apologize. I'm going to end the show. And so you're going to need to call back. And uh, if you'll do that, uh, we'll get you right back on. Um, I'm going to exit out of it because it might be the call-in studio. I don't know what's going on. I'm also going to open up. Unfortunately, it's going to take me two seconds. And you're going to count to two probably, and I'm not going to make it. But if I put the slideshow up on uh, up on my screen a different way, and we'll see if this works. Because I was running into problems. Every time I tried to switch uh, to a different slide, it was freezing up, and then I would get kicked out of the show. And so... Okay, so that I know what's happening, you're going to shut down the entire show and then start no, it again, no, 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 and everybody no. who's watching now is going to have to log in or what? No, no, no. Just the people who are on the call line. Two people were in the call line, and they're going to have to. Oh, okay. Back. Okay, sorry about that, callers. Please yeah. do call back. Yeah. One of the problems with doing a live show is you, you're not really ready when things don't go right. So we'll see here. Share. Yeah, for whatever reason, the slideshows give me some trouble. Yeah, that's not going to cut it, is it? Stop. Screaming. No, apparently not. Um, would you like me to just expatiate about anything while uh, you're busy working? No, no, I think I think we can do this here. So, I, All right. So, sorry, Bill, it's going to be a little. I mean, because yeah, I, yeah. I we both had the slideshow up. Um, if it's causing a problem on your screen, are you able to? So what I've got now, and what I think work okay, is if you got yours up, and I've got mine as a screen share, you've got yours as the actual Google document, and um, I think we're going to be okay going forward from here. My only issue is I'm not going to have access to the outline, which was on that monitor. So maybe if you can help us out, Maven, and kind of try to stay one step ahead on you know, kind of alternating between the three of us on whose favorite show, and I'll pull the call-in studio back up, maybe. I don't. I don't know. I'm kind of stammering here because I don't know what the perfect solution is. The, the less you have on, the the better. Yeah. So I'll let you do the call in studio. You can even have it just you know, on standby essentially. Um, which which one were we on? Do you guys know off the top of your head? I don't know, but we've gone from three hundred was rules of the game down to ten. Yeah, rules of the game. Let me. Uh, we can do this a different way. Oh, rules of the game. That was one yeah. of mine. I remember that. Tell us about it. What was what was stuck out to you about this? And and I remember your rules. Well, do you really? I had to look them up. Because <laughs> I came up with them. You do a better job of remembering the things I come up with. Frankly, I think I remember your Enter your show or meeting number and press pound. Okay. All right. Like and rule number one. These are the rules of the game from the perspective of the church leaders. Rule number one, we are going to hide stuff from you. Rule number two, we are going to try to keep you from finding the stuff we're hiding from you. Rule number three, we are going to lie about hiding stuff from you. Rule number four, you can't blame us, the leaders, for hiding stuff from you. And rule number five, if you talk about the stuff we are hiding from you, we will hide 
you. And, you know, these are kind of pithy, kind of enjoyable rules of five rules about how the church deals with negative aspects about church history, mainly. The amazing thing about this podcast, the show that we did, was that we were able to find actual audio clips or written statements from different church leaders, usually more than one, to support each and every one of those five rules and to show that that's exactly what they're doing. And they're really not making a big secret out of it. If you listen carefully and know where to go to listen to the right sound clips, they have admitted the truth of all of those rules and that that's the rule book they play by. How did you come up with that RFM, the the five rules? Did you just kind of sit down and plot them out or did your did you just have one of those light bulb moments that that you're prone to have where it just kind of all comes together at once? Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. That was a total Holy Ghost <clears throat> moment, baby. Mm, great. Good, good. The um, church thinks it has a monopoly on the Holy Ghost, but not quite. Maven, what was another favorite of yours? Um, I'm trying to pull it up here. I think some of mine got um, um, mixed up on here, but uh, one of them was the one that we did on patriarchal blessings. Um, so actually, I think that one was here. And I think for me, this was compelling um, because our guests were so compelling and their stories um, were just really, I, I think, heartbreaking. And this was also the preparation for this episode was what really opened my eyes to how harmful patriarchal blessings are. I think up until this point, I, I'd heard of some, you know, I guess some one-off things here and there, um, but it, it just seemed like a one-off to me and overall mostly harmless, like a you know fortune cookie or something. Um, but then when I was thinking about just how much I I took stock in mine and and now that since we've had that episode, I just feel like I notice it so much more now. Um, it's a confirmation bias or, um, but I, or I may think there's another phrase for it when you're introduced to something and then you start seeing it more. But anyway, just uh, when you are a believer and these are usually given to you as a teenager, when you're just like at this prime time of, I think still some, some gullibility, uh, just lack of experience and knowledge about the world. And then also, a lot of vulnerability because you're in this kind of transition space from childhood into adulthood. You're, you're really looking forward to the future and there's a lot of hopes and dreams and uncertainties. And, and so I, the timing of patriarchal blessings just is so manipulative. And that when you believe that they're really from God, as we saw in the show and in comments, and as I'm, I'm seeing more and more across the board, uh, it, when it makes, would you make your life decisions based on that? And like we saw, I think with Martine's story was especially heartbreaking um, on that one. It's just really, really tragic. So uh, yeah, this was one for me that I, I realized patriarchal blessings are a, as much of, if not as strong of a control mechanism as missionary work even because way more people get patriarchal blessings than even serve a mission. And so uh, yeah, so that's what I was thinking about that one. I remember that one with uh, Martine Derrick-Smith and Lila Tuller yes. on the show. And that was kind of like you, Maven, where I looked at my patriarchal blessing every now and again when I just didn't have anything else to do and there's nothing good on TV. 
And I'd look at it and I think, okay, so how much of this has come true versus how much has it? That was about all the attention I gave my patriarchal blessing, I'm sorry to say. But then I find out that there are actually people out there who take it really seriously. In other words, there are members of the church who take their patriarchal blessings as seriously as the church leaders tell them they should take their patriarchal blessings. And then when those people do that and they plot out their life according to what their patriarchal blessing has said, it can run into tragedy and disappointment and frustration and ultimately a loss of faith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Is it, are we back? I, 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 for whatever reason, my screen just keeps doing weird stuff. I really apologize. So I was going to put this up there. Oh, okay. I was going to do a different one and pull up one of our callers, um, if that's all right. Oh, by the way, pull up the caller. Feel free. Let's do it. All right. Um, I'm just going to, it looks like um, it's Emily. I'm going to try to pull Emily up. Okay, Emily, can you hear us? Hopefully everyone can hear you. Hi. Yeah, thanks so much. All right, Bill, are, are I just wanted, okay. I wanted to thank you guys for your show. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Yep. yep we very well. Yes. Thank you. I'm just trying to let you go on with your, your compliment. Please continue. Yeah. Thanks so much. And um, the women in the church has to be my all time favorite one, but my second favorite one was a recent one about, it was episode 93 about the tar and feathering. I really appreciated how much you guys followed the evidence wherever it went and didn't really get caught up in supposition about the, the, husbands on missions and things that you could have gone down this rabbit hole, but you didn't. And I so appreciate that. Um, it's so easy as an exmo sometimes to um, get caught up in that. And I just wanted to say how much I appreciated that and enjoyed that episode. Thank you, Emily. And then I think Bill was this one of the ones you had put on. Um, so that's why I, I pulled it up on the thing, or it might've been on one of our events. What's that? The tar and feather? Uh-huh. That was no, I mean, what's that? I'm saying that was your episode. Yeah, it, it's one that, again, it's one of these things that I've always wondered. I've heard the rumblings that uh, Miranda Nancy Hyde Johnson is, uh, Miranda Nancy Johnson Hyde, I should say, was uh, being approached by Joseph when she was a teenage girl, and that's what led to the tar and feathering. I'd never really dove deep into it. I've always wanted to spend some time there. And so I took a couple of weeks trying to find everything I could. And I think it's something that RFM and I try to do is to always just go where the evidence does. And I, I will say we are different. I think RFM tends to stop right at the line of what can be concluded um, demonstrably. I, I always use that word. And I'll kind of go a little further and go like, okay, I'm willing to add a little bit of conjecture as long as my conclusion is the one that requires the least amount of conjecture. And, uh, and, and so we're a little different that way, but we often behind the scenes are talking to each other about how we want to go wherever the data goes. And this was a really good episode to show that because in the end, I think this is one that the church can notch off as winning the argument and having the stronger argument that Joseph wasn't doing anything uh, with Nancy Miranda Hyde, or not, I'm sorry, Nancy Miranda Johnson Hyde. And that at the end of the day, anything that concludes that is adding more conjecture than the other argument. And 
hence we should stay away from it. So I'm glad that you noticed that and appreciated it. Um, yeah. yeah. And Emily, I'll tell you that I looked at the evidence, yeah, most of already. which but oh, go ahead. Is Emily going? Bye-bye, Emily. Thank you for calling. Thank you for, oh, sorry. I let her, yeah. But go ahead. I mean, she's listening. Okay, hopefully she's still watching. She didn't yeah. just shut it off as soon as she called. <laughs> Emily, thank you so much for calling. Thank you for the compliments. I was just going to say that I looked at the evidence, and most of this is what Bill found. Bill is uh, demonstrating a remarkable facility at finding and researching evidence. In fact, there was one show. It could have been this one. I think it might have been this one, but it was one of your shows, Bill, that was a historical episode. And somewhere toward the end of it, no less a luminary than Dan Vogel commented that you did a good job finding the sources. And I would say that is praise from Caesar indeed. But I remember I looked at these sources and I just thought, mm, I'm not sure this is adding up to where uh, I would feel comfortable saying what I've heard other people say, which is that, you know, Joseph Smith was diddling little Miranda Nancy Hi, Johnson Smith, or whatever her full name was by the time she finally shuffled off this mortal coil. She had a lot of last names and a lot of hyphens in there. But you had also come to that conclusion, because I remember this is what I thought. I called you up. I asked you what you thought. And I was wondering where you would come down on this, if you would come down the same way that I had come down on it, which is, mm, this doesn't look like it's necessarily uh, backed up by the evidence. And once again, we're not saying it did happen or it didn't happen. What we're saying is we weren't there. And all we have is the evidence that exists in order to form our conclusions. And so Bill came down exactly where I came down, which is my way of saying how brilliant you are, Bill. Good job. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and it really is. It's a good test, right? We did this episode where we talked about steel man and straw man. And we talked about logic and we, basically how Quaku and the Midnight Mormons aren't using it. And one of the things I try to do, I really do is I try to say, okay, what conclusion requires the least amount of conjecture and allowances. And, and in this ep, like you pointed out, maybe what the critic thinks happened happened, but it's the argument that requires you to make more leaps uh, without the information or evidence being there. And hence it, it is the less rational conclusion without evidence coming forward, additional evidence coming forward. And so we stop short of saying those things happen. And I'm, if I'm a betting man, I'm going to bet they didn't happen because that's where the evidence says. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, another one that I, I really dug and I don't want to get out of order here, but I'm, it's going to be chaos. I think the rest of the, the evening, but this was one I really loved. And for the same reason, um, we showed a ton of documentation. We went into a bunch of land deeds I really got a thrill out of this history. It was a story I didn't know. I didn't know anything about Flora Woodworth. And I came across this story about the gold watch and harsh measures against Emma Smith by Joseph. And I thought, man, this would be a fun story to tell. What I didn't know is that by the end of the episode, I had gone back into a bunch of land deeds and I found every single woman's land deed from 1842, 1843, 1844. And then I tried to uh, look for additional evidence that that was a plural wife of Joseph Smith. And most of them, it was clearly yes, but there were about five that I couldn't find anything except in one case of a Jane Gully, there was a, um, there is a ceiling to a Mrs. G and Fawn Brody 
made the assumption that it was a gully, but not, not Jane gully, but she had very bad evidence for it. She had a woman who was marrying a gully, but it was like three years, five years after the alleged, uh, documentation in the alleged, but the actual journal entry that said, Mrs. G. And when I found the Jane gully one, which was for a thousand bucks. And we went through that. Some of these, uh, plural wives who had land for a thousand dollars all seem to be clear cut plural wives of Joseph Smith. And again, I don't have the nail in the coffin piece of evidence, but it seems as though Jane Gully is the most reasonable, rational conclusion for who Mrs. G is based on the evidence that we do have. And so after that episode, I think I found an additional wife of Joseph Smith and I posted the evidence in several places. Um, And I thought, you know, it's a lot of fun. Like you said, it's a lot of fun when you come across new things, which I think on this show we do pretty regularly. Yeah, that's one of the things that makes Mormonism so endlessly fascinating to me, as well as the actors, the famous actors that you get to portray different people from church history, like in this particular thumbnail, which just went off the screen. And I was just oh, going to comment on it. Please. If you could bring that back. Everybody's going to love this. I hope so. Yeah, you got Melissa Gilbert playing Flora Woodworth, Bradley Cooper playing Joseph Smith, and playing Emma Smith, Cara Burrell. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Look at that. It looks a little bit like her, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it's uncanny. Yeah, I just found a pioneer girl image, and then I made it so it was transparent background and stuck her on the one side, and then Joseph and Emma it, it was a fun one, though, a little cabin in the background. It looks like, you know, this would be right where Joseph pulls back up in his carriage after working at the temple. And Emma's demanding the gold watch back from young Flora. And here's where the whole tour. Poor little Melissa Gilbert. Yeah. As uh, as William Law would say, this is where the whole transaction took place. <laughs> That's like Mrs. Olson accosting her and wanting uh, her husband's gold watch back from yeah. Melissa Gilbert. And, was so, and you went and found gold watches that Joseph had given to other wives of his and videos of, you know, other folks who had a Joseph Smith gold watch, but didn't have a very good provenance. They had a story that had no evidence whatsoever for it. And what, what it seems when like is do, when you do all this research, Bill, and you do it up front and I can look at it, it makes it easy for me to go a step further and see yeah. what else might be there on top of it. And that's all I did. I think that either Joseph Smith had, a bunch of gold watches, or he had one gold watch with multiple rubber bands. <laughs> he uh, gave the same watch to all of them. Just you get it for two weeks, and then you get it for two yep. weeks, and then you get it for two weeks. Pull that rubber band. <laughs> Eventually, I'll need it back. I need to bail myself out of jail. <laughs> you don't want me to sit in jail, do you? No, of course not. <laughs> all right, what's another one out of you two? Well, let me see here. One of the ones that I have, let me look at my, my, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Solving the church homosexuality issue, which was episode 41. And one that is slightly disappointing to me, kind of lower in numbers of views compared to the others. I know it doesn't sound fascinating, but there I gave, I think a fistful, maybe three or four ways, theological doctrinally based ways that the LDS church could maneuver itself around this homosexuality issue. And by that, I mean, um, allowing gay people to get married in the temple and still be true to their fundamental core doctrines and principles. 
and that they've departed from them actually in allowing this to happen and forbidding these kinds of things to happen in the temple. I thought that was helpful. I, it was said in good faith. I know sometimes it may have sounded like I was being funny, but honestly, there are multiple ways that the LDS church today can get past this homosexuality issue, which is causing lots of people to leave the church and lots of people to not have a very favorable opinion of the church. They can get around that while still being true to their core doctrines as taught by their founding prophet, Joseph Smith. And I, I just yeah. want to add to that, not besides what you just said, but um, the LGBTQ issue, besides just having a bad time in the church, it's a, a huge cause for a lot of self-hatred uh, among members of that community. And we know that suicide is a problem among the community. Um, and I, I think some people in the audience probably know uh, David Argeletta just did another, I, I think, an interview about um, just being like actually feeling liberated and free and happy you now that he's finally um, been able to accept himself, which was a challenge for him for a long time. And people were rooting for him for a long time. Um, and even even David was suicidal. He said that, too. It's it's almost a part of every LGBTQ person who has been in the church that has had at least some at some ideation and we know far too many have unfortunately been very successful and not just that but the tearing apart of families so i feel like the uh this is the number one way that the church ruins families is by making it hostile for um you know for members of the lgbtq community uh in families that are unsupportive and you know have even kicked them out that's why there's charities in salt lake for homeless LGBTQ youth, a lot who are Mormon. And so as much as the church tries to deny that it has any kind of a role in these problems, it's huge. And I think you guys, um, I mean, you have your sense of humor, but I feel this was a good episode because you did um, take the topic seriously. And I wish the church would take up at least one of your suggestions Um because you're right, they they fall in line doctrinally. There was like historical basis. Like there's, you know, good reasons for everything that you said. And the real reason why we know it's it's not happening has nothing to do with doctrine, has nothing to do with them being prophets, seers, and revelators. Because um, at this point, I think it's pretty clear that they aren't. At the end of the day, it's their generation's bigotry that they are just holding on to so strongly and can't let go of. I think maybe, maybe because of their own uh, narcissism or the surety that, you know, their opinions are God's opinions instead of vice versa. Yeah. I, uh, I put yeah. this up on the screen because this came out like a couple of weeks ago. Um, Peggy Fletcher stack Salt Lake Tribune, October 4th, 2022. So about a month ago. And uh, this law professor who's a believing Mormon offers his uh, ideas. And I haven't read it yet, but I almost wonder if he took the same ideas that you did. Uh, and then so. we shared a couple one of them. He took one of them. You read it. He took, and then, he took one of the. Yeah, I did read it because it did come up. I was excited to see this law professor yeah. getting some airtime for this idea of how the church could resolve its homosexuality issue. And he took one of my ideas and he piggybacked on that. And then he added a bunch of legalese in order to make mm -hmm. it sound more sophisticated. Um, I, I don't know that he actually listened to our podcast, but I wouldn't put it past him. I feel like I've been bednard. <laughs> um, you know, and we talked about too, uh, in that episode, you know, Mormonism doesn't seem to know who's in the 
bottom tier of the celestial kingdom. It doesn't seem to know who's in the middle tier exactly. And we also have this precedent for two men working together. Heavenly Father sent to uh, Jehovah and Michael uh, to go work on creating uh, planet Earth and all that was on it. And so you have two grown adult men working together uh, to create things. And so I, I think, like you pointed out, there's plenty of theological space if they really wanted to solve the problem, which then then probably pushes us in the direction that they really don't want to solve the problem. Right. But at least this person uh, did it in a, an article that got picked up by the Salt Lake Tribune, which probably yeah. has a slightly wider viewership than Mormonism Live. Yeah. Maybe slightly. not. I don't know that for a fact. But, um, you know, as these ideas get put into public discourse and they get repeated in different formats, like this was with this professor, like we did here, the more this happens and the more frequent this becomes, obviously the church's initial reaction is, no, 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 don't tell us how to do our job. Stay on your own runway. Thank you, Elder Renlund. Yes, stay on your own runway, pal. Eventually, though, it gets talked about, circulated, and the brilliance of it is, is that over time, the leaders of the church begin to think it's their idea. And as soon as they think it's their idea and that it's a good idea, God wakes up from his 2,000-year-old nap, rolls over and says, hey, why don't you do that? And then they're off and running. Yeah. Can we take a couple more calls? We ha we've had Please. some great callers. Please. Um, Let's do it. Uh, sorry. Okay. I've been monologuing. Yeah, sorry. I just... I. I'm, I'm switching back and forth between things, and then I I'm, I feel bad. So this call you're doing great, by the way. I'm the one who's screwing this whole thing. Up. <laughs> All right, so I'm pulling them up right now. Okay, um, yeah, caller, I don't have a name, but I think you were one of the first ones in. So you want to go ahead and say hi. Hi, everybody. It's Rebecca. Yes, I did try to get in, and then I was bumped out and told it was busy. So I'm happy to be here. <laughs> All right, thank you so much for hi, waiting. Rebecca. Hi, guys. Um, I just want to say congratulations on your 100th episode. This is absolutely amazing. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Love it. Thank you so much. What's, what's your favorite show? Um, I am going to go back about a year, around Halloween time, if I remember, and I'm going to pull one of your more quirky episodes, which is the one that you did about um, Bigfoot being Kane. Just sort of with the overarching idea that I love it how you guys cover what's considered folklore, but for somebody like me that was raised in the um, 70s and 80s church, it was absolutely gospel truth that that was a fact. <laughs> right. yeah. Is there Rebecca Biblioteca? Of course. Of course. Who else would be calling and talking to you about Bigfoot and Kane? <laughs> well, that's what, that's what gave it away. Not your age at all, but no, I, I it was know, about big, it was because you're about the same age as I am, I think. It was about Bigfoot and um, <laughs> Kane, right? And the prophetic myth making. This was another uh, pr production of Bill Real Enterprises. And, and we talked about uh, Dear Jesus, didn't we? Yeah, we did talk about that. I think this was the second episode that I helped with, and. Um, and it was the first one that I helped more with behind the scenes. I, I can't remember. It was one of the first ones. And it was one where you, I really loved it. It was just really fun. The chat was wild. Everybody was having a great time. And I just loved that, Bill, that you were just able to concentrate 
on just the subject at hand. And so it just seemed like you had a lot more fun too, since you weren't watching as many things. And I don't know. So I think that was like the first, I just felt really good about yeah. watching that episode. I don't think I was ready to come on or even, I, I don't think I even was Maven yet. I think maybe just mentioned that there was somebody helping. Yeah. And, and that was the episode that just made me feel like um, I really can help um, make this better just by freeing you up to, to be present. And so, and you mostly are, but that was one thing I did notice in some of the earlier episodes was uh, sometimes the distraction yeah. from you having to switch yeah. back and forth. And so um, it just made me feel like a, a warm feeling in my heart. So good. Yeah, I, I love it. And I, and I felt like we laughed a bunch during this one. I felt like there was a lot of humor that, like you said, the audience was good. Well, somebody yes. was putting deer heads on every single image from church history <laughs> and throwing them up on the screen with no notice to me. Yeah, there were lots of images of deers. I didn't get the images. Rebecca, are you still there? Okay. He is still there, yeah. I'm still here, of course. I'm a fly on the wall. <laughs> oh, I thought it was Vincent Price. Yeah, no, but I just love the way that you guys will, that you'll kind of shine a spotlight on these on these things that, that like today, they're, they seem like they're folklore, but I'm telling you, when, when you're raised in the 70s and 80s church, they were gospel truth. Bigfoot absolutely was, was king, and the Ten Tribes absolutely did live under the ice. I mean, it's, I love how you guys discuss things like this, because it was a reality. For those of us that are a little bit older. Oh, absolutely, and, and the city of Zion used to be where the Gulf of Mexico was. Mm-hmm. All these things. I mean, Mormonism used to be so amazingly fascinating, exciting, vital, weird ass. Back in the 1960s and 70s, it was a, a kick to be a member of the church back then. But slowly, you know, you look at it with this big 30,000 foot view, right, Bill? Or 20,000 foot view. Whichever one. And you start to see, I mean, this is this is what it is. Okay, you still with me, Rebecca? I am here for the duration. Okay, do you have a pencil and paper ready to write this down? Oh, it came to me goodness. the other day because they've just been taking things away. They take away Bigfoot, you know, uh, they take away the city of Zion. Yep. They take away uh, the, the yep. North Star and that's Garden where of the Eden. city of Zion is. What? Garden of Eden, gone. Um, Garden of Eden is out of here. Yeah. Sorry. Nope. So the, what has happened is that in the first The first 50 years of Mormonism, what uh, Revelation, I'm talking about Revelation, okay. Revelation, the first 50 years of Mormonism was addition. And ever since then, it's been subtraction. What do you think of that, Rebecca? I think you're absolutely right. And I would add to that all the faith proponing rumors that were facts like Elvis died clutching the Book of Mormon or, you know, things like that that you just knew and you talked about and those don't exist anymore. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he loved that Book of Mormon. When uh, Mrs. Osmond gave it to him, he absolutely. said, thank you very much. <laughs> Prophets, seers, and revelators, and you and know I, less and less every day. I'm still going to do the episode um, with, with Steve Preinecker about the book that was um, – around about the fate of the persecutors of Joseph Smith that has all mm. these and deaths and things like that. Um, so Crystal had, uh, had called about that early. So yeah, that's just a, another example that um, I'll be going over later. 
Um, well, those yeah. stories go to illustrate the principle that when God is asleep at the switch and his main man, Joseph Smith, gets murdered while God isn't paying attention, he gets really pissed off at the people who did it. After the fact. <laughs> it's payback time. If only God were Superman, then he could fly around the earth in the opposite direction and turn back time, and he could actually save Joseph Smith. Yeah. And you wouldn't have an ap apostolic coup d'etat. I know everybody's astonished because I just did a DC reference. I'm going to have to repent of that after the show tonight. <laughs> and we have another caller that's been Please. on um, as as long as Rebecca. So I'm going to go ahead and let you go, Rebecca. Thanks for Thank calling. Thank you, Rebecca. Awesome. Thank okay. you, guys. Congratulations again. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you. And, bye -bye. and while you're going to the call, Maven, folks, again, if you would, if you wouldn't mind, uh, we appreciate all the donations that come in, but we really do survive on donations. You can make a donation to help keep this show running. Um, as I've said in recent weeks, donations are down a bit. MormonismLive.org. Uh, click the donate button. You can also, right over on the side of the screen over there, there should be a donate button on YouTube as well, if that's where you're watching it. Mm -hmm. And you can click donate there and send us a few bucks. We really do appreciate recurring. Don't, we re appreciate all donations. But the recurring ones help us to plan better for the future because we can see that money is going to be consistent and coming in. Uh, we really had a goal of trying to raise 5000 bucks tonight and uh, hoping that uh, uh, some folks out there that you can send a few dollars this way and, and help keep the show going. And uh, we very much appreciate it. And again, pick out your favorite episode and share it on social media. Um, and obviously we need the money for technology, if nothing else. If nothing else, we need a better, a better technology system. Yes. So the next caller is, um, is going to be Pete. So it, I know you've been waiting patiently. Um, I did want to say, I, uh, I've seen in the chat, so the, the queue we're keeping really short. So if you're not able to get in, some people are asking me to <laughs> make sure they get on the show. You'll just have to keep calling. And likely when a caller is dropping, you know, that's the most likely uh, that you'll be able to get in. And then I think we were going to do, and maybe we could, I could even just do this as like a side thing again, maybe over on the discord or something, but um uh, a few select people know that Maven has a funny PG-13 story uh, about sex toys. So if we do get 5,000 tonight, I will tell that story. So there's an incentive. Again, it is PG-13, but so it might and not it's worth It's worth 10 grand, but... <laughs> you should have led with that one, Maven. <laughs> By the way, we All have right. a special prize for... One. And, um, and uh, uh, Pete's favorite was one that was just recently mentioned. So, all right. So, okay, wait. It's and because this is the 100th episode, we have a very special prize for the 100th caller tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've been able to keep track of that, so I, I cannot. This is number it. four. But Pete is on now. All right, I think. Can you hear us, Pete? Go ahead. Oh, g'day, Bill. G'day, RFM. And, of course, g'day to the Queen, Maven. Thank you. Long live the King. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Pete. What's your favorite episode? Well, for me, as a never mode and as a never anything, I find episode 65 very interesting because it gives a good correction, a great rundown uh, of Mormonism uh, in one podcast. So thank you very much from me as a never mode. Thank you. And I think Pete is calling, it uh, looks like, um, international call over the web. I'm, I'm guessing uh, Australia or New Zealand, if I'm any decent with the accents. Did I get it? I don't yes, know. I think you will be correct. Australia. All right. 
Thank you so much, P. And we're glad that you like the show, uh, even as a Nevermo. Yeah, the episode. Hey, Thanks. Doing a great job. Hey, Pete. The episode Did he's talking about, I think, was this one. Oh, and and that was another I, Bill Real production. I I loved this one only because it really quickly. What I was trying to show was that there are a thousand problems. The the conclusion is in the critics' favor on all of them, and when you step back and look at it as a giant puzzle piece, you realize you're working with the wrong puzzle. Not all the pieces are there, and it sure as hell doesn't go together. Hmm. It was a great episode. I'm glad that you liked it, Pete. Are you still there, Pete? Yes, mate. I'm still here. Pete, can you a- answer me a question? Here's the question. Why is a Nevermo like you watching a show that's all about Mormonism? That is a very good question. And for me, it's just really the, the crate of it all when- how people, you know, seemingly good people, intelligent people fall for it. That is one of the most important things to realize, and I'm glad that you've realized it too, Pete, because it's very common for people to look at Mormonism, find it ridiculous, juvenile, um, and think the only people who would believe this must be idiots, when actually that's not the case. There's a lot of people in the church who are very well educated and very intelligent who believe it anyway. And so I think that's a really good point that you've made that, um, yeah, intelligent people believe this stuff. And just because you're intelligent doesn't mean you can't fall for something. In fact, frequently speaking as a, an amateur magician, it's the people who are the more intelligent and the more educated who are usually the easier ones to fool. Mm. And it's nice to have understanding you, um, from the um, community, like that, that it's I, sometimes you get the feeling that you are kind of a freak show to some people. Uh, so it's, it's nice to have, um, I guess, more understanding uh, outsiders um, be willing to, to take a look at the messiness of it. So um, thank you. I'm going to go ahead and let you go pee and then, um, and, and then we'll keep going. Thank Thanks you so for much. Calling, Pete. Thanks, Good day, and mate. A few people Sweet. have said that my mic has uh, been muffled, and I hope I made some adjustments to make it better. So I, I am trying to keep an eye on that. If you can let me know in the comments if this is better, um, having made a change. And I guess I could keep talking so they can tell me now because this one was mine. Um, and so and the reason why this was one for me was, of course, when you first come out of this, um, when you're deconstructing, Mormon Stories podcast is one of the first things that most people find. And, and it's been around the longest. It has the largest reach. And it's, I think, um, you know, the history kind of type deconstructions or or doctrinal or cultural deconstructions are all very helpful. But there's just something that was just really, really cathartic to me as I was like freshly going through my own. It's just a like wave after wave of different emotions kind of crashing down on you all at once as you're trying to grapple with. So sometimes it's grief. Other times it's just um, embarrassment. Like how could I have been so stupid? And then there, and then you get angry and then there's just kind of like an empty despondent feeling. And then, and then kind of like a righteous kind of anger where you're like, I, you know what? 
I'm better off. This is this is fine. This is great. You know, I'm I'm gonna live my life now. You know, and then back to the sadness. So it was when I was going through that that hearing and seeing the other stories. And I know RFM, you like to joke about how long they are, but I I really love, and I think that is a lot of the appeal is is to be able to get a person's a, a large form instead of like a, a clipped you know sixty minutes version. Um, and if, I think especially for me because I. Um, for most of the people that I knew closely who had left the church, they did. I mean, I obviously was kind of assigning the like the typical um, apostate, you know, this they they sinned, you know, with sex before marriage, or they wanted to drink alcohol, or you know what I mean. They they did not fit in with the culture of the church. They weren't faithful like me, and having gone on a mission and loved church and and loved young women and and. And went to a BYU, and and I even went to the Jerusalem Center, um, and then yeah, so just like having done all of those things and gone to the temple, I didn't know many people personally. So being able to see other believers, you know, in that scenario, and um, and I think the long form helped me to really understand, like they really were like me. They're not just claiming that they were faithful. I, I could believe that. So. Um, when I started to hear those uh, the things about Rosebud, that was a really difficult time because a lot of what you're deconstructing, of course, especially with Joseph Smith, is just all of the impropriety um, with women. And so I remember having this moment of just being like, oh, no, is this like, is it just like the same thing on the other side here? Um, and I know like it, John is not the center of the podcast. It really is the stories, um, but it did deeply bother me. And I was contributing at the time. I mean, I didn't have much, but I did stop my contributions just because I wasn't sure. And I tried really hard to dig into these things. So with this episode, I had seen a lot of the things that had come up, like in the discussion boards that were super old and a lot of the allegations and even some of the text messages um, that were provided by John. But at the end of the day, I couldn't verify any of them, like where they were coming from. And so I did notice one of the things brought up was that, you know, the allegations were always really vague and, and nothing specific was really said. And I, I thought that was a little bit strange. And so I just seeing the episode, I think, first of all, validated a, a lot of things that I was feeling, but also to have on Natasha Helfer Parker and there was another board member on. And then to know that these texts that I had seen that were supposedly from John were indeed from John. Um, as long as the other documents that were all, sub, you know, supplied, it just made it really clear to me um, that, uh, again, that we're talking, this is what uh, one of the things Natasha said was that it's so frustrating that it just keeps coming up and and the allegations are going way beyond even what Rosebud ever said. And people were making some really horrible accusations about John and the kind of person he was um, uh, really unsafe, uh, you know, a predator. Uh, almost the likes of Joseph Smith. And so this episode was really meaningful to me, I think, to help debunk that. And I thought that was done really well. So definitely not saying that John is a perfect person. I think we all know that. And we all know like with Rosebud that there was, you know, I, I think he does have a lot of regard, but I, I just love to actually be able to get some settlement over this. And, and since then, I think a lot of people do know, I do work for Mormon store now contractor. So there is an end date on it. Um, and when I, um, uh, when John first talked to me about potentially working for Mormon Stories podcast, uh, he brought up Rosebud and 
every major or minor scandal like that, that has ever been out there and some of them that I hadn't heard of, but he brought them all up himself to me. Um, and, and he gave me his side of it, of course, but, and he said, you're welcome to look up whatever you want to on that. If you want to you know, try to contact them, he said, I, I just want you to be aware of all these before you would come to work here. And that was just a huge thing to me that he was, he wanted to be sure that I knew what all the allegations were, um, you know, regardless of if they were true, he just wanted to be sure that I knew about them and I wasn't surprised and that I was still comfortable uh, coming over to work. So, um, I, so I, I, I feel like I have um, a lot of respect for John DeLynn and, and where things are right now. And I really love working for Mormon stories. So yeah. if you remember how this thing came about, Kwaku came in studio with us, did the show and, Right after he was promoting that he that, that Midnight Mormons promoted that Quaku was going to do an apology to John DeLynn. and then at the last second they did a bait and switch on on that they essentially tricked people into thinking it was going to be an apology and then they did this whole expose on on the Rosebud scandal and you know it it was years old at that point and uh, RFM when you did this episode I I just remember thinking to myself as we went through all the data that. You know, life is messy. Humanity is messy and complex. How people navigate this life comes with lots of bumps and we all learn lessons. But what became crystal clear in that episode was things weren't exactly the way she was claiming. And and I think it's fair to everybody that the evidence see the, you know, the light of day and and you treated it RFM as a lawyer and here's a courtroom essentially and here's the evidence and what's being said just doesn't hold up in the nature it's being said. It doesn't mean that, you know, again, I don't, I don't know. None of us were there except for those two and to know exactly what happened. But at the end of the day, what's, you know, what's, what the evidence is, is where we have to make the rational decision on, on how far we go. And, uh, and I really felt like, you know, Quaku and, and those guys had given it a certain kind of treatment and I, and I'm, thought it was fair and balanced to come back and show the other side of things. Yeah. I know like people no, have well, gotta say oh, that like women aren't safe with John Delin or around John Delin. And I, I've actually had um not as many interactions as maybe people would assume I would for for what I do with the show. But most of what I do um just requires a few like check-ins with him here and there here and there. But I he actually goes almost like as far almost too far the other way. I, I think to make sure that um, that he's not ever putting himself or I in, into a position like where anything can remotely happen. So yeah. I, I, this is something where John has kind of almost fled to the other side of the spectrum where, um, yeah, like, so I think just the idea that people will still even say somebody tried saying this in a chat and, and I did mod it and, and take it off. I, I, was that accusation that like women aren't safe around John Allen. And, and I just think that's, uh, that's ridiculous. So. You mean that just happened? Not in ours. I'm having a hard time keeping track of ours, but no, it was on a, um, um, a Mormon Stories podcast chat that I was modding. You know, someone made that accusation there. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it, it's from my experience anyway, it's, it's not true. So, well, it, it, even though both of you are reluctant to say it, I'll be the one who'll come out and say it is that yes, John DeLynn is a perfect human being. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no. 
and he knows that I think, but I, I just feel bad that it just, it, I, um, I don't know. It, it, you either, I, I guess it seems like he's a, a person that a lot of people love to hate and that's fine. It's fine if people don't like John DeLynn, um, or if they don't like his interview style or whatever. I do, I just think that the accusation, this was something that Natasha brought up as well. Um, and Natasha's a great person for this too, because I mean, obviously she's, um, you know, it, a, a sexual health therapist. So she even started the episode with just talking about how important it is, like with the Me Too movement. And, and we really want to uh, be open when accusations like this come out. And she felt that she and the board were. And, and the reason why um, things turned out the way they did was upon investigation, they didn't have merit. And so, but she wanted to make that very clear at the beginning, um, you know, that, that this is not like women lie, you know, and, it, it, and you can't trust us or whatever. Um, so I appreciated that. And then I just think she's a, yeah, obviously a respectable person in this. And, and this was what had bothered her was just the extreme level of the uh, where the accusations go. So and yeah. so that's it. Yeah. Right. And just reflecting a little bit on that episode, we just happened to be in a fortunate position at a fortunate time in that um, Rosebud had been bringing this up every six months to a year consistently, these vague amorphous allegations for about a decade as of the time we did this. And the most recent permutation of that was Kwaku L going on and doing his his little bait and switch that you talked about with Kate Kelly, yeah. uh, Bill. But the reason that was helpful is because finally the board of directors at Mormon Stories, what's it called? The Open Stories Foundation, right? That's the, the name of the, the company. And the board of directors had finally had it because they had been holding on to this information, holding on to this information. And when I say that, I mean the documentation that shows that Rosebud is making this up, that she is fabricating her allegations and especially her what was it? It was her um, her email that she sent at the time that she was being let go, which was basically a black mail email. That was enlightening. Black email, you could almost call it. And we read that, but we just got there on the cusp of it because finally the board of directors, they've been holding on to it, hope, hoping she would just go away. Stop, just stop, get on with your life. And they wouldn't have to go public with this information, which they had already shared with her. She knew they it already existed. She's making these allegations in the face of information that she knows contradict what she's saying, but she's making on the fact that nobody's going to bring up the actual documentation. And we were fortunate enough that at that point in the story, which is about 10 years of this stuff going on, that the board of directors finally had enough and said, okay, look, we're going to let you look at this documentation. You have our permission to put it up publicly and we're going to come on your show and talk about it. So that was very fortunate on our part. I will say that Kwaku inadvertently led to that episode because he was the latest one to try and capitalize on this. And he actually had texted me at some point before the show when he knew that I was going to be doing this show. And he predicted that I would be going down in flames by the end of that summer. That was in April, I think, of 2021. So April of last year, I think we did that show. And um, yeah, he said I'd be going down in flames by the end of the summer. I'm not going down in flames. He's talking about werewolves and witches over on his own podcast and God bless him. But his prognostication is about as good as Joseph Smith's. Yeah. You went down in flames about as much as president Nelson did. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, I know we're like we've spent a lot of time on this one and, and I think we're ready to move on to another one yeah. or even some calls um if you want to do that. But I did just want to say like uh, some of the extreme allegations are not from Rosebud. So um so I don't want to give that kind of false impression and, and dump everything on her, but just some things have ex- extrapolated from from her information and you know, just like how gossip just kind of tends to grow and get uglier. And at worst, like the more it gets spread around. So I just wanted to clarify that, um, that, that not all of it is from her necessarily. So, Oh, well, and thanks for clarifying that because Rosebud never alleged anything. She never gave any facts. It was all, Oh, he was bad. He was horrible. This, and it was all insinuation. It was argument by insinuation. And when you do that, and I think we talked about it on the show that when you do that kind of stuff, most people, I think, and certainly lawyers, look at that and go, okay, where are the facts? What is it you're saying happened? I don't want to hear how it made you feel. I don't want to hear a description. I want to hear facts about what happened. Give me the facts about what you're saying happened. She refused to do that over years and years. And it was because she refused to do that, that other people who are not looking at this quite as analytically and perhaps with a certain prejudice against John DeLynn, we're willing to take those amorphous non-allegations and extrapolate from them the very worst possible interpretation and then call him those names. So I I agree with you that she, Rosebud, did not make those allegations because she never really made any allegations at all. But she certainly put the chum in the water for the sharks to come and start biting. Yeah. Yeah. She had said... She had oh, said she was suing us as well, and, and that oh. never happened. Either. So just FYI, yeah. yeah. Well, did I not tell you I got the summons? Yeah, yeah. When, when are you showing up? Did I forget yeah. to mention it? Oh, I think yeah. that was like a year ago. They already got a default judgment. Good. Love it. Awesome. Um, I am seeing, this is, might be the most controversial one of the night. I, I, there's a lot of uh, discontent in the comments I'm seeing from this. Um, yeah. But Ooh, I the just natives are restless. We're, we're picking our favorites. And this one was really impactful to me. And I don't know, um, it's a lot of women in the comments too doing it, but I know like as a woman, um, this was something that really concerned me when I first heard these allegations. And I was really wondering just about the ex-Mormon space, if it's still, and in a lot of ways it still is, can be toxic in a lot of ways, deconstructing from patriarchy and things like that. Um, And and people might think I'm also trying to, uh, kiss John's ass with this uh, because I'm working there now. Um, but this really did mean a lot to me because it was something that disturbed me and I didn't want to support anything at all. I mean, I supported it at this church that has done so much harm for so many years. I didn't want anything that would do the same on the outside of it. And it was, it was, it was really unsettling to me that I couldn't figure it out on my own. So um, yeah. yeah, so this is a genuine one that I, I think really helped me personally long before I, I ever even thought that I, I guess the idea of me coming on this show um, was that I, a twinkle in anybody's eye to kind of borrow a phrase, maybe inappropriately there, but um, uh, yeah. So I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. So, um, I will tell you about the set. Maven, I'm glad that that impacted you. I hearing this for the first time tonight, how you felt about that show. I will tell you that, you know, we've got 10 minutes of absolute chaos usually before the show goes live because we get together. We make sure everything's going right. Nine times out of 10, it's not. Yeah. And so 
we're just going crazy and ballistic. And sometimes we'll have a guest on who's sitting there watching this. And I always tell them this is how it always is right before the show goes on. I knew that show about John DeLynn was important. I knew the information we had was groundbreaking and new. And that 10 minutes for me before that show lasted for about 48 hours. Wow. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we've already gone through the list of our five favorite. We're at the eight o'clock mark. Um, I yeah. know that Maven, you made a list of all the guests that we've had on, on over the first 99 episodes. Would you mind reading that just so folks can get a feel for how many people you've had on? Uh, did you make yeah. that list, Maven? I, did, I didn't make the list. Oh, you made it RFM. I'm sorry. Please. That, that, okay. all means, RFM, please. I don't need credit. <laughs> I tried to get everybody on there because I know that when you start mentioning people, right? By the way, Dan Vogel, Dan Vogel, Dan Vogel. I told him that if he showed up tonight that he would hear his name. So there you go. And I, I just started adding him up. I started looking at all the different episodes and I couldn't remember necessarily all of the names, but I remembered an awful lot. I had about 34 names and from people that maybe others have never heard about that have a remarkable story or thing they want to talk about to some top-notch Mormon scholars. And uh, Maven, what, why don't you go ahead and read those? Because I, yeah, I don't I think, did I get Nicole in there? Maybe I missed Nicole. Maybe it's 35. Um, we'll, we'll go through it, I think. Um, and if not, then yeah, I, and I, I, I forgot her last name. So I'm so sorry, Nicole, we still, we actually were texting uh, today. So, um, but Brent Metcalf, Dan Vogel, Cheryl Bruno, Thomas Murphy, David Bakavoy, Lila Tuller, Martine Dierick Smith. Um, those two are on the patriarchal blessing episode. Lisa Killigan. She's the dance teacher at BYU, Alicia Franklin, um, that was the failure of the priesthood. And, and that one was a really close one to being on the show tonight. And I've seen people mention that one in the comments a lot too. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Streeter, uh, Chris Bloxham, Kwaku, uh, Nadine Hansen, Natasha Helfer, Lindsay Hansen Park, Spencer Wright, John DeLynn. Um, uh, this was uh, a moniker, I guess, Lee A. Honer on the Brass Balls episode. Uh, ben, uh, I, I might be pronouncing these wrong. So I, I feel like... Uh, like this, like the general conference readout. Um, is it Ron? Hada? <laughs> I don't know. But um, Ron, H- Ron Hada. Ron Hada. Hada. He's and the it, guy who I know who was actually nice enough to be in Seattle, take me out to dinner before this show, some months before. His last name is Japanese. I went to Japan on my mission. I know it's Hada, and I mispronounce it when I introduced him on the show. That's my claim oh, to fame. But I think that's a hint now if anyone wants to be on the show, how to how to win RFM's heart um, there. Uh, but we also had Denver Snepper. Uh, we had Kelly Whited-Jones. Uh, we've had Jana Spengler. Um, uh, and then, yeah, you do have Nicole on here also with the other last name. But Kara Burrell, a.k.a. Nuance Ho. Um, and she's called in a couple of times, too, I, I saw. Um, also, of course, the illustrious Sandra Tanner. And then uh, Tyler from the David Bednar uh, interview. We've had Charles uh, Harrell. Um, we had a U.S. Air Force sergeant. We had Weird Alma. That was also really fun. Richard Dutcher, Susie Benson. Uh, we've had Black Exmo on and uh, Mark Elwood. So, um, and then as uh, people who participate a lot in the chat and call in, we have uh, Don Bradley, Dan Vogel, uh, Carrie Schertz, a.k.a. The Backyard Professor, um, and Jackson Washburn. Yeah, it, it is. It's right. interesting. I, I when I looked at that list, RFM, I thought oh, you know, you we've know. done ninety nine. 
Nemo's been What's on. That? He did a checking one with Nemo. Nemo. Yes. How is Nemo doing? That poor boy. I understood he had some kind of a panic attack when he was on stage in Utah. I mean, yeah, I, don't, I don't know that. I wasn't. I wasn't there. I, I just know. I I just thought leave it to. Well, to I wasn't blaming you. To like blast that photo out on the internet. I don't know if <laughs> I'm sure Nemo's fine with it, but I I know he's I know he's fine now. Yeah. So. <laughs> when I saw well, best the wishes list. for a speedy recovery from the people in the states, Nemo. Oh yeah, people are pointing out that I was a guest on the show. <laughs> Forgot. Oh, that's yep. right. There was a there was this uh, the show about unveiling somebody, and I can't remember who. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of it. Um, that's so funny. But yeah, I'm just looking at the chat and see like um, who else that uh, we might be missing. I, well, actually, I want to shout out 21st Century Saints for um, for also calling in and and being in the chat quite regularly. Even yeah. this is very late uh, over there in the UK. So um, yeah, definitely uh, Jane and Alana deserve a shout out too. I think so. When I saw a list of people, you know, we've done 99 episodes and here are all these interviews and people have been brought on. And then we've done all these historical episodes. And I just, it's amazing to me how we covered that much ground in 99 episodes. I don't know. And, and I don't know if the next 99 will be, you know, as good. I hope sure as I'll hope so. But man, we covered so much and uh, it's they pretty will amazing. Be better. Yeah. I'm going to try. Yeah. Should we go to, to callers? Yeah. And if then you got another caller too, let's it. take them. Okay, we've got. Do you want me to cut the lines now, or still keep it open for a couple more? Uh, let's. How many more you got? Done? How, many, how many do you have in the queue? I mean, just two in the queue, but that's all yeah. I've allowed the queue to be. So if uh, if we leave it open, that'll probably we'll... make for a full night. I, I wanted to just go really quickly through the slideshow because there's a bunch of them, and, and as we kind of close out, uh, so people can kind of see all the ground that we've covered. But um, by all okay. means, let's take a few more phone calls. All right, so we will um, we'll call in. Yeah. The two that are in are, are it, and they both look like they're U.S. Uh, numbers. So I'm um, sorry okay. for anyone. Maybe they don't have a telephone in the emergency room. Well, he's he's back home now. And I, I did put up a comment from 21st Century saying that he, they they've, like know that he is fine. So he, he's Yeah, when I heard about it, I think I said something to somebody about how Nemo just wanted to finally get some quality medical care. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I've been in the hospital recently. They that great. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you've been waiting so patiently, almost an hour actually in the queue. It looks like. Oh, really? Yeah. But let's get your okay, name. My and your name favorite is Susan. Episode. Susan. Hi, Susan. Okay, my name is Susan. Hi, and I just want to say how much I really enjoy all the hard work and research and sacrifice and time that you guys put in to this program. My Thank husband you. and I just love it. Um, and this is kind of a serious episode. It's, I think it's episode 89, the manipulation, money, and sex abuse, Mormonism, and particularly the caller, Ruth, who called in at the end of the episode. Um, and that you just took the brethren to task for hiding um, and not dealing with sex abuse. Mm. Did I just one of the most memorable parts for me as well. And I, I yeah. need to redo it because I, I know, and Bill did actually share it. I made a short from that. Um, and I just, I, you know, put words on with some background images. The phone call. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I snipped, I kind of made a jigsaw puzzle out of it just, but um, uh, yeah, I, I almost want to redo it and get that out there. That was again. powerful. But it was, it was. 
Yeah, thanks for bringing yeah. that one up, Susan. I feel like that I'm. I, I think the show wouldn't complete if that one hadn't been brought up. If Ruth had been on up, and I hope that Ruth is listening. I hope so too. I want to give a little Thank bit. You. Hey, Susan. Susan. Yes. Hi. Yes, I want to let here. you know what. Great. Thank you for calling. I want to let you know what Maven did is that she was so impressed. I think everybody was very impressed by Ruth's phone call. Maven was so impressed by it that she uh -huh. went and made a TikTok video out of it. And it was the first TikTok video uh -huh. Maven had ever made. And she spent hours and hours and hours on this 60 second TikTok video until she finally had it to the point where she thought it did uh -huh. justice to what Ruth said. And then she put it up. So I just wanted to, uh, yeah give kudos to Ruth for that phone call and also to Maven because it would be very easy for people who don't know all the work she put into it to think it was just snip snap and it's up oh, there on TikTok. Yeah, this was at least six to eight hours work, right Maven? Like how, how long I was, but I was also, I just really was being, I think, perfectionistic about it. And she had so many good points and I just mm -hmm. really wanted to like, because it was more than 60 seconds her call was but just to like put it yeah and i wanted it to be perfect so that's partly why but i did take i think more than eight hours if i'm honest um i worked through a night on it and i'm really proud of it so wow. yeah. Awesome. yeah we should recirculate that. well it was so raw and so gut-wrenching that you know it was just so powerful yeah yeah so thank nice you thank you susan yeah. um and then i've got a question maven Mm -hmm. And Bill, the people who know how to do technology. Is there any way we can find that TikTok video and put it up right now? If there's not, just say no. Uh, give me a two seconds. I think, I think I can is. do that. Yeah, I might have to search around for it. But let me let me go ahead and get our last caller on and I can see. Yeah, and I'll put it on right after that. Okay. Great. All right. Coming up. Okay. All right, you're our last caller. Thank you so much for your patience. Go ahead and give us your name. It's not on there. And then uh, your favorite episode. I made it. I made it. Uh, this is actually Crisco or right. Burrell Bike. Shout out to the chat. I made it. Thanks. <laughs> um, no, this one has not been mentioned, and uh, it touched me greatly. And considering we're actually at about the one-year anniversary of it, um, I thought that it was appropriate. Uh a year ago this time, I was in the hospital after uh, attempting to remove myself from the equation of life. And uh, it was right as I got out of the hospital that you guys did the episode on the church's changing perspective, essentially, on um, humans that no longer want to be around. And uh, I'm trying to be careful about using certain words, but um, that one, the chat was sharing lots of very powerful, positive stories. I think it helped grow a lot of us closer together. Um, I made some good friends. A lot of people checked up on me after that, including some of you guys, and I appreciate that. Um, I'm still here. Everything's going good. And But just hearing all the important details about not only um, the changing church's stance on that topic, but also, frankly, a lot of the context behind why maybe they made that statement, uh, changing essentially, I don't know if we want to call it a policy or belief or whatever, but uh, it was an episode that I'll never forget. And uh, I think it's something that we should all talk about, be willing to talk about more. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. Mike. Thank you, Crisco. That's a great call. I'm glad that it was meaningful to you. I'm glad it happened at a really good time in your life. Glad you're still with us. Hope you'll be with us for many, many more episodes to come. Yeah, yeah. And that was a, an episode that I, I didn't get to review, but I had seen it come up. Um, and I do remember, um, like you said, the chat was full. It, it, that was definitely a really, yeah, a difficult episode, but one that was very needed for a lot of people. And then yeah. before we wrap up, I had I had something else I wanted to say. So I just wanted to make sure that I, I let Bill know that um, before the show ends. Yeah. So What's... whenever you Oh yeah, I'm, I was just going to show that TikTok if we want to yeah. do that. Um, yeah. Let me pull I didn't it. Didn't want up. it to like go to the end credits right after the TikTok. Um, no, no, no and I want hours of Maven's work. Yeah, let me pull it up here. Here, it's going to actually take me to. I don't have the file anymore. <laughs> I just need to share the audio on the screen as well. Share, and let's see here. This should. Yet, hopefully. I am just gutted. I'm 75 years old now, and I'm so glad to be out of that. Thank you so much, Mormon. You can't hear it? We could hear it, but it's it was delayed. So for me, I wasn't seeing anything uh, oh. initially. Um, so maybe we let's, uh, did but you get sound think, honestly, the pictures in the background, are, I, it's Ruth's voice that's the most impactful. So, yeah. Did you hear any sound at all? Yeah, we heard sound. I didn't yes. see anything. Yeah, but I the sound am, is. I'm 75 years old now, and I'm so glad to be out of that festival. Thank you so much, Mormon Church. My son dying on his mission isn't enough for you. You have to gut people. Why? Oh, why? In God's name, didn't the bishop rise to the aid of the children? You've got a mind, Bishop. You've got a mind. You do not have to duck your head to the authority of the Mormon Church. And I just want people to realize that at the end of this, a young girl that had to go home every night to that house, a baby that had to live in that house, it's horrible. It's horrible what we're doing. Cavalierly, you know, I wish I could run to their aid. For the love of God, Mormon Church, do something. That's all I've got to say. Sorry, it got cut off there right at the end. Yeah, mic drop. I have full body like feels right now listening to that again. Yeah, that's amazing. I subtracted myself from the feed right there just to see if that would help at all with the replay. Oh, yeah, amazing, true. amazing moments that we've had here on Mormonism Live during the past 100 episodes. And not all of them have been us. A lot of them have been callers as well, yeah. raising great yeah. points, making great, great points. Great participation in the chat. I was just going to put up, and again, you guys can hang around for a minute if you want to, but I was going to, if I can get this to do what it's supposed to, and it won't. Let's try. Uh... There we go. So, oh, man. Okay, for whatever reason, my stuff's going really slow tonight. But I want to go through. So you've got the, um, you've got the President Nelson's flight of death. You've got the Two Hills Camorra, the tar and feathering of Joseph Smith, the gold gifts, beads, harsh measures, kinder hook plates, the rise and fall of Alma's an apologetic, uh, the day of miracles cease with Bednar and Wendy Nelson, the rules of the game, solving the LDS church, 
homosexuality issue, the changing landscape under President Nelson, the role of women in the church, the shame game, patriarchal blessing connection, uh, Book of Abraham, Fair Mormon, and Ad Strominems, which I thought was really cool that you came up with that during the show. Fair Mormon in the This Is The Show, Kwaku L Live in the Studio, um, Bigfoot Kane, you know, the whole Dear Jesus, Brass Balls, Charlie Harrell, Contemplating Mormon Doctrine, Get Rid of the Facsimiles, says Faithful Mormon Scholar, with uh, having Brett McCaff and Dan Volon. The Brigham Young University's fight against modernity, past and present. I thought that was a fun historical episode. Bonnie Corden, by the way, anything new on that? I know the last I heard from you, they were again, there was 13 people or so ahead of you. Those got through pretty quick. And suddenly it's like this long, deep pause. We're all holding our breath because the Florida officials are taking a long time to put all this information together for you. I made the request initially around the beginning of August. I think it was. There were about 13 ahead of me. It's done online. You can see the people who are ahead of you and who have to be served. They're like the people ahead of you at McDonald's, right? They have to get through theirs, and they show when they get through theirs, and they show as yours moves up. Mine has been at the top of the queue, and it has been marked as open, which I believe means that they're working on it for about four weeks now. And I periodically go back and check on it because I'm not receiving anything, which I should be receiving by email. Now, I do recognize the fact that their staff is probably limited. They may have one person working on this, maybe not even full time. This is probably a big investigation with a lot of reports in it and a lot of concerns that the sheriff's office there in Orange County, Florida would naturally have about properly redacting it before disseminating it to somebody who's in the public sphere. So I understand that and I'm not concerned at this point, but it has been about four weeks that they've been working on this, this request on this file. They've been working on this one for about whatever, let's say uh, four times longer than the rest of the list combined. The other 13 yeah, people. At least, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, the rest of the list combined. Right. Twice the as other long 13 as the people ahead of, of you took like, yeah, the, the other 13 people ahead of you took a couple of weeks, I think, maybe three weeks, two weeks. Yeah, I'd say probably at least twice as long. Yeah. I want to be conservative to err on that side, if yeah. any side. So I don't get uh, blamed for overstating anything. By the way, can I say something before Maven goes? Because I just want to say something that as I've been reviewing these um, these episodes, a lot of episodes, you know, I thought this would be an easy episode to do. We're just doing a, a retrospective on things that we liked. And of course, maybe it would be if it were anybody other than me doing it. And Maven too, right? Because we ended up doing the same thing. We went back and we thought we're going to listen to all of them. And we're gonna we're gonna really figure this whole thing out, right? Totally can do it. For punishment. And then we started thinking, wait, I, there's too much. I mean, there's like uh, what at least a hundred hours, probably closer to two hundred hours, to get through in a week, and that's a lot. That's a lot. So yeah. I did go through some, but the thing that really was overwhelming to me is I want to thank the audience. I want to thank everybody who watches this show for allowing me the opportunity to do this show. I love doing the show. I have the time of my life. I'm having an absolute blast with Bill and with Maven and with all of you. And I wouldn't be able to do this without you. And I know it may sound corny, but I just want to thank you for letting me do the thing that has been one of the most meaningful things 
in my entire 62 years on this planet. Thank you very much. Yeah. Amen. Ditto to that. Um, I'm, I wish I went first. I'm, <laughs> I wanted I'm to give you the last word. I thought you would do much better than what I had to say. Um, Ed Bill, did you want to say something or is it a, uh, about what RFM said or, um, no, I, I was going to sneak through the rest of these really quick, but if you oh, guys yeah, want to yeah, give yeah. closing, it's, it's up to you. Um, just no, really quick, the 1826 it. trial of the glass looker with the real Joseph Smith stood up. Uh, Mormon apologist, the second Watson letter, Mormonism and masonry, gaslighting from Mormon leadership. Did God have sex with Mary? That was a fun episode for me. Mormonism grooms compliance. The game. Spoiler alert, the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah with, uh, with Mr. Hassan there. All-state BYU professors, peak stones, sheep bones, and gold thrones, all on Miner's Hill, the John Dolan episode, Hells of Hoffman, which we had a ton of documents from Hoffman's life, and RFM prepared a bunch of data on, on that whole uh, episode of mystery. Lindsay Hanson Park came on to tell us the most troublesome aspects of polygamy. We looked at a five-minute video of the church, uh, How Can It Not Be True? And then we examined it, Keith Erickson, the hoax expert, Keith Erickson, the analysis of the director of the Church History Library, Mormon Minecraft. It was fun because folks don't remember this, but we we did the Sheep's Bones, Gold Thrones, Miner's Hill episode, and you had come across some new information on a missing, possible missing uh, First Vision account and uh, did this episode on Mormon Minecraft, which I thought was really good. Um, you know, you say that, and it reminds me that that happened. I'd forgotten. That was Joseph Knight, I think. Yes, Joseph Knight and a page from his description of Joseph Smith's history is missing, and it most likely will be a First Vision account. Uh, the yes. Adam God uh, episode that uh, we did, the second anointing, which was a big one, um, we talked about the real apostles, please stand up. That was one you did in the very next week. I did the one on hostile takeovers, bailouts, and backroom deals. Residents behaving badly. Revelation, excommunications, lies, and obfuscations, the 86 John Taylor divination. I, I wanted to have four writing words. I usually go with three, but this time I went with four. And the modern day Mormon Danites, straw man versus steel man, the RFN, suicide RFN. one. Oh, you're unmuted, my friend. I, I know. I was it. actually just moving my mouth and not saying anything so that you would think I was muted. You <laughs> uh, the Elder Oaks electroshock hoax. Uh, First Vision Apologetics, 30,000-foot view, lying for the Lord, the history of the Mormon Holy Gardens. And this was only like 50 of that I put on 50, I think it was. Um, there's still another 47 that we didn't even show on the screen. We covered a hell of a lot of ground, you two. I just want to say, um, thank, I, I, you know, I thank you to both of you. you. You make this fun. The audience makes this fun. But it really is a joy to present people with information that's life-changing to them. And uh, I, I couldn't find two better people to do this with. You guys are amazing. I, I really appreciate being part of the show. Thank you, Mr. Rio. And I want to say, likewise, this show has been a blast for me. And as I was uh, just kind of thinking about coming up on this 100th episode, um, I could really say this show, especially <clears throat> since coming on, has quite literally changed my life. And everything that makes me biased and, and the, the ideas and the projects that I have and, and the people I've met 
Um, even going to the UK uh, with Marco, like all of that um, came from this show. And uh, I just wanted to, I, I mean, I honestly don't know um, where I, I would be without it at this point. And, um, um, you know, I, I'm still working, you know, to try to make this like a, a full-time gig that I could be doing instead of just, you know, uh, I'm doing part-time for Mormonism Live and part-time for Mormon Stories. But I'm I'm having a blast at both places. I love the audience. And, and I just want to say, too, the uh, Mormonism Live audience, especially from the very beginning, were so amazingly supportive. Um, I... Uh, and and ha continue to be even through you know mistakes that are made and um, I, I don't know I just feel like I've been embraced and hugged I guess by uh, everybody from the get go when I, I didn't even necessarily uh, have the chance to prove myself yet um, it, there wasn't uh, I guess that kind of a feeling sometimes where like if a newcomer is coming onto the show you know and not everybody does appreciate my commentary which is totally fine. Um, you know, everyone can have their differences of opinion. And so that that doesn't bother me. But overall, I, I just feel like I've been really welcomed. And on, before I was even named, there was a lot of support for me. And it's continued even as a reason why I, I didn't I don't actually like my own episode so much because when I, when I watched that again, um, or the one time that I attempted to rewatch it was a lot of insecurity uh, just coming out and just thinking, what's people actually know me? They're gonna, this is just going to be a big like letdown. And I just didn't think I was that interesting of a person. And so I just thought, it's just all mystery. It's all hype. That's the only reason why people are interested in me. It's because they don't know who I am. And um, But I can honestly say nothing has changed. So I just really want to thank, uh, first of all, Bill for giving me the chance to um, try to help out with some of the problems on the show, which is funny because sometimes I don't and sometimes I've caused more. But overall, I, I like to think that I've been a help and I just appreciate that you gave me the chance for that. Um, RFM, I appreciate the conversations we have. You've um, been a mentor to me um, you know, on and off the show. And uh, I just uh, really appreciate the, the things that you guys have done for me. Um, and I really appreciate also, it was this uh, that allowed me to work for Mormon Stories now, um, so I, my contract was just going to be temporary I, for, I think, just three months was initially all that I was going to work for them for. And, um, um, and that's has long passed. And, and I'm still working is because John has been so gracious um, with the surgery that I had to, to continue my employment there. Uh, because I, I'm not able to work my, my normal fallback regular job. And so, um, uh, so just even that opportunity to, to keep working beyond uh, the point that I was initially going to, um, you know, potentially end, uh, uh, you know, helping out on, on that show as well. Uh, this is just everything has been a huge blessing and I love it. I love you guys. I, I love every, this is the highlight of my week still. I've said that before and it's still true. Um, and I haven't started crying, so I'm actually really proud of myself for that. But I am feeling emotional about it, and I, I love you guys. That's what I want to say. I gotcha. Thank um, you so much, Maven. I'm so glad that Bill had the good sense to bring you on, because I was not involved in that in any way. But I was the beneficiary of his good sense and of your amazing abilities. Yeah, you're, you're very intelligent and articulate. And the things you raise, RFM says all the time to me in, in conversation to the two of us, that you add things that two of us would not have thought to add that was 
substantial to what we're talking about. And so we deeply appreciate you. Uh, folks, we've raised about $2,000 tonight. I think that's great. You know, the live audience is a small segment of the people who end up watching the show. If you're watching the show after it aired live, please know that we're trying to get to 5000 bucks. Uh, the money we bring in, the only way we fund what we do here, pay uh, our podcasters, uh, pay Maven, um, able to continue in content without feeling uh, burned out, which happens in this business because you spend a ton of time making things at no charge, especially in the beginning. Uh, folks, we survive on donations. We are a federally nonprofit 501c3, uh, so your deduction is taxable inside the United States. Help us get to the five thousand. That's the goal. We'll see. Uh, we'll see over the next few days what happens. Also, take your favorite episode. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, wherever. Put it somewhere um, and try to see if maybe we can uh, get a few more listeners uh, and subscribers to the channel. I really think what this show does is incredible, and uh, uh, the umbrella as a whole is amazing. But the show in particular. Uh, I think we construct history like nobody else and uh, deal with the issues of Mormonism that no one else, uh, I don't think anybody else tackles it. Do. And I hope that you'll help us keep going. Uh, Art Radio Freeman, Maven, thank you very much for these first 100 episodes. And, hey, Bill, um, yeah, please. Is there, what's the deadline on the goal that you want to get that 5,000 by? Let's, say, let's say one week from today so that we have time for everybody to watch it up until next week's episode. Okay, and I'll make good on my promise uh, with my story. If we oh, you want this? This is a ten thousand dollars story. It's only going to cost you five. <laughs> yeah, anybody wants to hear Maven tell a story about sex toys? Pony up! I bet I bet a four thousand dollar donation comes in here in the next few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I did say it was PG thirteen, so like, no one's going to be too disappointed. I think hoping for something that they're not going to get, but it is a funny story. So. We love yep. the new logo. We're, we're using it on a lot of graphics. As RFM pointed out, I'm going back into the episodes and creating a better uh, image for those shows and including the new logo, and we really love that. You purchase shirts with that logo and other designs from the Umbrella and Mormonism Life specifically uh, by going to Exmo, uh, Exmo Shirts, uh, Exmo Apparel there. And uh, other guys, man, this has been a lot of fun. Anything else from you guys before we end it? No, just that I'm going to have to leave here presently because all this yellow is forcing me to go to the you bathroom. Gotta go. Okay. <laughs> have an excellent day. All right. Bye, Good everybody. night, everybody. Thank you so much. Love you. Okay, bye-bye, you too.